Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Welcome, everybody. It is episode 196 of the Galen Trombley Show. My guest today is Brian Trasco. That's good? Yeah, Trascos, exactly. Trascos, okay. Yeah. I, I figured I'd say it really quick so I didn't like, lose it out of my mind. So um, it sounds, is it Greek? Polish, actually. Polish, okay. Yeah. Well, there we go. It's, so it's a cool name. I first heard of Brian, actually first met him, listened to him. You were at the Chamber Business Expo as, I think, the keynote lunch speaker yep. that went up. And um, you talked about a lot of stuff, and it was kind of things that I found interesting. So I'm like, you know what? I took your card. You had stuff on the table. I'm like, I'm just going to store this. And we reached out to you to get the podcast going. But I thought the the speech was really, or your topic and, and your content was really good. The speech was good. Um, so I'm just interested to hear more and kind of pick your brain and let you expand. And like I said, selfishly, just ask you a bunch of questions that I, I would have, um, you know, want to know about. So but Brian, for people that don't know you, who are you? Where do you live? Where'd you come from? How'd you get to? How'd you get here at my office uh, in 2022? Cool. Well, Gail, thanks so much for having me on the show too. I really appreciate it. I'm super excited to be here and to share whatever I can be of value for you and your and your uh, audience, whoever's listening out here with us today. This is really great. So I, um, you know, I actually summered um, in Willsboro as a kid. My grandparents uh, got a place in and built actually built a camp in Willsboro in the 50s, and so my my mother. My mother and, and my grandparents' family kind of spent every summer there. And so I grew up in, I went to school in Amsterdam, New York, so just, you know, Mohawk Valley. But every summer I would be up here with my grandparents. So this always really felt like, felt like home to me. When I uh, went off to college, I, I was in Buffalo, New York for PT school for, you know, four years. And I worked in PT, or I worked in Buffalo for an additional year after that. Then I moved out west. So I lived in Denver for 10 years, about 10 years. Worked at Craig Hospital, which is a world-renowned rehab hospital for uh, trauma, uh, brain injury, and spinal cord trauma. So I worked very intensely with people um, surviving brain injuries, essentially. Basically uh, working inpatient. I also helped them develop their outpatient and community transition teams in those things. I had a really opportunity, I had a great opportunity to work with some amazing cutting edge professionals, cutting edge surgeons and doctors, physiatrists, physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, really from, uh, and we had patients from all over the world that would come there. We were always ranked, Craig Hospital always ranks as one of the top three rehab uh, hospitals in the country on the, you know, when they do the rankings. So very well-renowned, cutting edge stuff, amazing things happening. And I learned just, I learned just so much there. And one of the things that I learned there was you know, even though we were cutting edge, like we had the best scans, best doctors, best everything, we weren't really that great always at predicting who would recover and who wouldn't from traumatic brain injury. And oftentimes the doctors would evaluate scans and those types of things and say, God, this person's, they're going to always have a problem, right? They may never walk again. They're never going to talk again. And, they, and they'd have to have those difficult conversations with the families and letting them know that, you know, the outlook isn't good. And sometimes those people would actually end up walking again, talking again, and having really amazing lives. And other patients that, when you look at the scans, didn't have much 
you know, comparatively, you know, any brain injury is a, a terrible thing, but comparatively to other people with more major injuries, doctors say, oh gosh, there's not, you know, there's not too much injury. This person is going to fully recover, have a, have a normal life, be able to live their life fully and into the, you know, um, independently and all that stuff. And they wouldn't get better. And so I, as a young therapist, I was like, what's the difference between, why can't we predict this? I mean, shouldn't, if you're looking at a scan, like you look at the body on a scan and shouldn't you be able to predict like this is the part of the brain, this interest has to do with how we function, behave, you know, all those kinds of things. But, but it didn't always line up one-to-one like that. And so I got really curious about what's the secret sauce? Like, why does someone get better and someone not, someone else not get better, even though it looks like on paper that it should be the other way around. And I really started to understand a lot more about body-mind function at that point in time. Really started to look deeply and study the, um, the people who got better. One of the people I had um, the honor of working with when I was at Craig was a young guy by the name of Patrick Ireland. And for people who don't know that name, Pat was the boy who jumped out of the window during the Columbine shooting. So if you remember Columbine back in 1999, so Pat was cover of uh, Life magazine, jumping out of the window, of you know to avoid. A, uh, he was shot and he jumped out of the window to to get into the jumping into the arms of uh, police officers. And so P- Pat was my patient at Craig, and I got to learn so much about how he recovered through his mindset and how he carried himself and his expectations and how he showed up and his and all kinds of things. And he was really a, a beacon for me in understanding about how the body mind heals. And it sent me off on this trajectory of deeper looking at holistic processes. Like how does our psychology, our emotionality affect our physicality? What does it have to do with our spirituality and our relationships? And really kind of seeing ourselves as holistic, truly holistic beings. So that got me really involved in things like Tai Chi and Qigong. I went back to massage therapy school at that point in time. And I, don't, I know I'm giving you kind of a long version of this, hopefully in service of, of, what, of what makes sense um, for, our, for our talk today. And so really the roots of my um, holistic understandings really started to, to really sprout at that time. So I moved back here um, because this always felt like home to me. I spent summers here as a kid, like I said, it always felt like home. Moved back here, ended up working um, for a private, uh, a private rehab group in Plattsburgh for a couple of years, and then ended up working at Elizabethtown Community Hospital for a, a, a little while. And then in 2009, I started my own holistic wellness practice. And so I went out on my own, 2010, I joined with a couple other people, started a, um, a practice called Live Well in Essex, New York, and then were you right next to a massage therapist? Um, I actually or no, an acupuncturist. Um, well, we actually were working with an acupuncturist. Ended up working with us um, from Gratitude Wellness, okay. whose name is Melissa Mackey. Yeah, I think I went and saw her once or yeah. twice. So you had like a little ranch building. There was two of you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I know exactly where you are. Yeah, exactly. The part of the uh, yeah, yeah. This so, is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So um, my so my wife Ani Anderson and I. Okay. Um, we weren't married at the time, but we started our own wellness center um, called New Health, actually, right there in Essex, New York. And we brought in a whole bunch of other holistic practitioners. We had acupuncturists, we had mental health practitioners, we had yoga instructors, Tai Chi and Qigong teachers, we had a fitness center. And we really started to work with this idea of holistic practices and how could we meet our clients in really holistic ways, kind of starting to pull back the layers of what happens in healthcare typically is individuation. It's like, oh, I'm I'm a physical therapist. I'm going to work on your knee, but you got to go next door. 
to talk about your what's stressing you out with the mental health practitioner. Oh, and then you got to go next door to that, to the occupational therapist, to work on your arm function or your hand function. Oh, and then you have to go next door to that to work on your speech function. Now, all those things are great. I, I really am a huge proponent of specialists when we specialize in our areas. We wanted to actually start to cross, cross-pollinate what are our skills and our personal understandings and our personal development so that we could all be practitioners of holistic service. How could we always meet our clients in very holistic ways? Looking at their body, mind, spirit function all of the time to help people heal faster and more completely was essentially the motto we had at the time. So over the years, we developed some really cool proprietary methodologies. And and as we were as we were doing our local kind of um, you know local wellness center, seeing clients in house, teaching classes in house, at the same time we started to be asked by other people from around the country, like how are you getting such great outcomes? I love the model that you're doing. Tell me more about that. So we created a teaching institute to teach other health professionals how to do that. One thing we started doing was what I call rehabilitative Qigong and Tai Chi. So one of the things that we do now is I go around the country and train rehab professionals how to use Qigong and Tai Chi in their rehabilitative practices. The other thing that we do is we work we go into organizations and work on things like the talk we did at the North Country um, uh, Business Expo was the three blessings of burnout. So we go into organizations and we help leaders and managers and employees understand more about how to prevent burnout, how to not even get to that point. How do we live better from the start so we can live in very highly effective ways through our, again, through our physiology, through our emotionality, through our psychology, through our relationships, all those things come into play. So we go into organizations and help people do that. We also have developed some somatic coaching methodologies that are proprietary to our practice that we teach other tra- uh, other professionals in also. Yeah, so I, th- I think uh, I'll kind of dissect that a little bit and everything. So a couple things that I find fascinating is obviously your talk on burnout. That was something that, you know, I was feeling a little bit at the beginning of the year, um, mm-hmm. even to sem- semi-recently. And it, I felt like I've spent a lot of uh, a lot of time over the last like say nine months really trying to get grasp of that and some of the holistic stuff that I kind of want to go over and ask you kind of about is you know taking you know um, obviously you're talking about, like you know physical stuff like acupuncture and massage therapists and things like that um, but then also like meditation also with you know different kind of kind of more like you said the holistic idea of slowing down a little bit and I think like kind of centering yourself and things that I've so I have a a couple things I'll dive into that but for first off we go into a little bit of the background like what what caused you to you originally started as a PT yeah yeah so what's that I mean you got into that what was the reason you got into that and what kind of opened the door from that to the holistic was it just the correlation aspect where you're like why can't we find why isn't like patients of a caliber not resulting in be like out like a good outcome was that really kind of the transition well you know that's a great question very astute of you you know so before before that you know oftentimes i think we find our way in life through our own issues right through our, our, our trying to solve our own problems are a lot of times the way that our doors are open in our life and we end up finding meaning and purpose in our life that way so for me when i was uh when i was 14 years old my paternal grandmother died of cancer and it was very very difficult she i i, I remember 
I still remember the day when my father came into the house and he said, boys, I have two brothers. He said, boys, it's time to go say goodbye to your grandmother. And so we get into the car and I can remember the long drive to the hospital in, uh, in Amsterdam, New York, where, where I grew up. And I remember being in the hospital, I can still remember walking down this long white hospital corridor. And at the, my grandmother's room was at the very end of the hall. So I remember walking into the, the, her room to say goodbye to her. And I remember walking around the bed and looked down at her and she didn't remember me. And she didn't remember anyone. You know, in, in those days, uh, cancer was like the dark ages of cancer. You know, there was, no, there was no palliative care. It was basically, let's see how much chemotherapy a body can take before it kills the person or kills the cancer. Like, it's kind of like a race to the death that way. Like, who's going to survive this thing, the cancer or the person? And my grandmother kind of lost that battle, if you want to think about it that way. So I remember when she looked up at me and she was really in a lot of distress, a lot of pain. I couldn't take it, you know, emotionally. It was very difficult for me. And I walked out, I'd walked out of her room. And I remember leaning up against this hard, cold wall outside of her room and wishing something that no 14-year-old should ever have to wish is that their grandmother would die. And she did. She passed away that night. And it, and I, you know, I mean, I, I, I have a 17-year-old son now and I have a 14-year-old stepson. And I also have a 16-year-old stepdaughter. And so I, I reflecting back, like, Sometimes you look at how teenagers think about things and you're like, there's really not much rational stuff going on in there, right? It's driven emotionally, mm-hmm. uh, largely. And th- that's exactly how it was for me. And so I, I, it, doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound rational, but I took responsibility for my grandmother's death because I asked for it sort of thing. And it kind of disconnected from all this other stuff that had happened around the cancer and things like that. And so I really started kind of punishing myself. And one of the ways I punished myself was by lifting weights when I was at that time. And so I remember one day I was really kind of just lifting weights and I injured my back. I mean, really, as a 14, 15 year old boy, I really hurt myself and I couldn't get out of bed and that kind of stuff. And so I ended up having some pretty severe chronic back issues, even though I was athletic. I played football, I wrestled, those kinds of things. And so one of the reasons I went into PT is because I saw PT for my back issues, my body issues that I had developed from this kind of this idea of like self punishment that grew out of that experience. And, um, and I just kind of connected with the PT that was helping me. And I thought this is what an amazing way to help somebody else. And so that's how I kind of got started as a PT. And I always, I think, had a seed planted in me somewhere that there was something that needed to heal. And I think my pathway at Craig and started to identify, oh, why do some people heal and some people don't heal? Because I didn't feel healed. I still felt you know, broken in a lot of ways that I started to kind of gravitate to that. So I don't know if that answers your question or not, but I was just to kind of look back a little further. I had that impetus to kind of, I think I always had that drive and always that impetus to kind of understand healing more for myself. And then once I understood more of those things for me, it became just like uh, a mission, uh, a light bulb, a beacon for me, if you will, to help share that with other people. So you think that the idea of healing that's like clicked in your mind of like, I know what, what I know what that correlation is now, yeah. or is that still like a pathway you're trying to find? No, I'm pretty clear. Yeah. I, I've actually healed a lot of that for myself. And the reason I, I've healed it is because I don't have those same chronic back problems anymore. So I lived with those chronic, those chronic back pain problems for like 27 years. And, and I can tell you the exact moment that they, they were healed. What, what was the cause? What was the cause? Well, yeah. for or me, a, uh, what was the remedy? I guess. Right? Well, yeah. So for me, it was a rem- It was a program I actually teach people now called First Aid for Backs. It's actually a process I've taken hundreds of, if not thousands, of people through over the years in terms of uh, dealing people, patients dealing with back pain. 
And it's a really, it's a three-step process. You have to be able to work with it a little bit. You have to be able to stick with it. But the three-step process is number one, you got to get safe. So when you're experiencing back symptoms, you have to get yourself in a safe place. And by safe, it's not comfortable, it's safe. And so safe means there's no threat at all. So no dogs jumping on you. I often tell people to put their phones away, turn them on silence so nobody can get a hold of them sort of thing. Like there's, you have to feel like you are, you are completely safe in the, and just for, for some people, they've actually never experienced that before. I just want to say some people have never actually carved out the space to make themselves feel safe and not feel like they have to be hypervigilant on edge all the time because that's a lot of what leads to that symptomology. That's the first thing. Second step is I teach people some abdominal breathing practices that start to engage the autonomic nervous system engage our automatic, um, un, you know, our uh, subconscious nervous system, if you will, in a certain way to begin releasing tension in the body. And then the third, I teach people some movement systems, like move what we call yellow zone ways. I have a whole program that I teach people to start working through that starts to unwind tension that's been wound up in the body, oftentimes from traumatic sources. That stuff, the, that process brings things to the surface, become more aware of it, and then go ahead and deal with those things. And that, that you've, is that something that's something you created or kind of a hybrid of things that you've just learned? You kind of packaged it up as like, hey, this is this is pretty um, innovative within that space. Yeah. So I think we always create stuff from things that we've learned, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or have experience in some way. So I think I would say that uh, have did I create? I, I didn't you create the, the dots. elements. I connected the dots yeah. and formalized yep. it. Yeah, I formalized it into a system that's repeatable. Yeah. No, that's very cool. Um. So, and that that's geared at. Obviously, the back, you know, or back, I say like physical part of it. So when you start going into um, like the mental aspect of it, like how when you talk about holistic, I typically, if you say holistic to me, my Mm -hmm. mindset goes to mental. My mindset goes to like, I know it's like whole, like body and mind kind of, but, but I do find that it's more beyond the surface level mm-hmm. and kind of going like deeper into somebody. And I think a lot of it has to do with the mental, like the mind as- aspect mm-hmm. of it. So, um, one, am I on the right path of saying that? Or is it my like, no, Gavin, you're completely wrong. It's actually this. Um, and then two, like h- how do you make the connection or the wellness through like the mental aspect or through, or holistic or however you want to describe it? Yeah. Well, I would say it's yes and, you know, so I think okay. you're really onto something. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I'm a really, uh, when I look at stuff, I really look at it physiologically. Like how are we built? Like how are we built as, as humans? And, and also like, what does mind even mean? So I think we have to kind of define mind. So a lot of people define mind as being mental or our, or, or our thinking. And I think when we do that, in when we do that, in a lot of ways, what we're doing is we're buying into the whole body-mind split that, that Descartes proposed hundreds of years ago. And that has kind of um, wrought a lot of problems in the Western world. Now, in the Eastern world, in the traditional Eastern world, there was never, there was never a difference between body and mind. So people say, is it body or mind? I say they're one thing. Mm-hmm. It's always both. Your, your body is your mind. Your mind is your body. We, we're, we're never separate from any of those things. We're always, you know, if we're in human form, we have a body and, and we are a mind. So even conceptualizing that we're different parts actually creates a problem for us because then we're actually, we're wondering, hey, which one leads, which one follows? They're all the same. So when I think about what's mind, so I, I kind of work backwards a little bit and my definition of mind is information. So I come at the idea of mind is in, mind equals information. 
and information we can do something with. It's actionable. And so actually we have multiple sorts of information that we have access to as humans. We have, we certainly have mental information, right? We can store information mentally. We can access it mentally. We can organize it mentally. That's what our mental capacity is really good for is organizing and focusing. But we also have a, an emotional mind. So the emotional mind is the information associated with our emotions, really. And we also have a body mind. And this is the information associated with our soma or our, our physiological systems. And so we're always gaining information from all of these areas. And if you look at how we're wired, all information that comes into us, sight, taste, touch, smell, sound, all, all sense information comes through our body first. It doesn't just like jump into our brain. It comes through our body first. It's going to come through our eyes, our ears, our nose, our touch sensors, or, in, or interoceptive sensors. And it's always going to get picked up in a sensor. And then it's going to be routed into our brain in our emotional brain centers. So what I like to say is we always process information vibrationally first because all information is vibrational. Light is vibration. If you look at the different wavelengths of light, mm -hmm. like blue is a different vibration than yellow is a different vibration than red. That's how we tell them apart. Touch is vibration. Smell is vibration. Touch, sound is vibration. It's all vibration. So we process things vibrationally first, emotionally second, rationally or mentally third. So when we, when we are mentally organizing information, we're essentially organizing information that has already been processed emotionally and vibrationally. So just look at the way we're wired. Our brain is really good at organizing information. Or, organized information that's already available to it sort of thing. But foundational information, especially historical information, is held in our body. Historical information is held in our body. So if we've experienced, if we've had past experiences that we haven't yet processed, then those experiences will be circulated, held in, in our body experience and will always be fed into our mentation, whether we realize it or not. So a lot of times we're making decisions that we think are rational decisions. And really we're making those rational decisions based on our emotions and the information that our emotions are getting from our body. So when, when the vibrations hit and you're talking about uh, the body aspect, like that's, I'm, I'm, a, I'm guessing this happens kind of subconsciously, like it just happens yeah. and your body reacts. And I think, so the emotion aspect is maybe the quick reaction to it. Yeah, you know, like if, if something like it's hot, like at, like yeah. you know, that's an emotion. I'm assuming that's that'd be kind of an emotional standpoint, and then going deeper than that would be like your your brain wrapping your head around the idea that it's hot and that it made you feel a certain way. Is that yeah? So actually, you've got the, you got those way. right, but just reversed a little bit. Okay. So so the reflex of taking your hand off a hot stove that's what we call a subcortical reflex. So that happens actually even below the level of emotion. That happens at the spinal cord. Okay. So that's not even processed in the brain. That happens deeper than the brain. Okay. So, and then we say, ow, that was hot. That's emotional. So then when the information finally gets to the brain, you realize what you just did was pulled it off. And then you, then you get nervous about it. You're like, oh my God, did I get burned? How bad did I get burned? Yeah. Like that, then that's emotional. And then thirdly, we start to process it like, oh, what should I do with this burn? Should I put some ice on it? Should I wrap it in heat? You know, or not wrap it in heat, wrap it in gauze. Should I go to the doctor? Right now you're, now you're, mental states kick into play about what happened. So all that's a, I think it's a great example, by the way. So hot stove, first thing is a reflex. Second thing, emotional around it. The third thing is, what should I do about this? That makes sense. Because you, your hand would snap back before you made any kind of noise. It's just, like you said, it's just that like quick little, uh, like what, I can move that fast. But yeah. um, so now regarding, I guess, the, the information flow to, you know, the brain and stuff, like how do we process 
how does the brain compartmentalize information? How does it process information? How does it like go into that deeper state where then that information turns into rationality? Yeah, that's right. So this is a super, super deep discussion. I love this. Um, okay. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad we can, we can okay. go here again. This is really good. So this is the thing we have to, we have to get. Like when we're um, between the ages of zero and seven. So by the way, before the age of seven, like the, the neocortex, the rational brain isn't even working between the ages of zero and seven. Like that, that, we consider ourselves to be human, the part of our brain that we use for logic and rationalization and categorization and, and, and projective thinking, like thinking in the future. Like if I do something different now, it'll change something in the future. Like that's all neocortex, very high brain function. That's not even working until after, the se after you're seven years old. So between the ages of zero and seven, our emotional brain is being developed. What we call our limbic or mammalian brain is being developed. So at that time, we're laying down pathways of understanding how reality operates. We're actually, laying, we're actually creating our, our template for reality between the ages of zero and seven. And once that, and this is the craziest thing, once that template for reality is created, we start to filter reality based on that template. So think about this for a second. Right now, all around us, like we're in, we're in, you know, in your office right now in this room, and there, there is way more information in this room than either one of us can take in right now. There could be a sound, like there's radio waves also going through this room that neither one of us can pick up with, our, with the naked ear, right? There's, there's light in this room that neither one of us can pick up with their naked eye. We know an animal could, but we can't do it. Like a bear can smell things that we can't smell or hear things, or a dog can hear things that we can't hear. So we know that there's phenomenon all around us that we can't actually perceive directly. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, and there's so much information around us that if we could perceive it all directly, we'd go crazy because it would just be overwhelming. It would just be like a chaotic cacophony of noise and light and all that kind of stuff. So our brain has got to have some way to automatically organize the billions of bits of information all around us so we can make sense of the world. And so in large part, that limbic emotional brain's job is to filter all that information into a very coherent you know, um, story, very coherent appearance, very coherent reality instantaneously so that our conscious brain can make decisions about it. So when you ask the question, like how are we, how are we organizing it, our, our mental mind our thinking mind, our rational mind is really making decisions based on a reality template that's being filtered for us based on our early life conditioning. Is that more through like that like nature nurture aspect? Is that a mixture of both? Yes, yeah, both of those things. Yeah, it's how we're born. Um, you know, the genetic factors that we have from our parents. I mean, you know, there's actually even great research now showing that like trauma gets passed down from generations. Like genetically, genetically, a trauma that your grandpa parent experienced okay you go, without me first without you without you firsthand experiencing it will genetically have the same genetic markers of uh of expression that your grandfather possibly had do, do you know why that's there's connection there well it's, it's genetics so, so it's, part, it's just through the genes. just through the it. yeah it's just through the genes so something happened in your in your ancestor's life and wow. they had an avoidance event, right? So when, when there's a trauma, it's like, oh God, so I got to get away from that because that almost killed me. That was horrible. I'm not doing that again sort wow. of thing. And so that becomes a genetic predisposition to avoid that thing and or have an inflammatory state in your genes when you come in contact with that thing. And that genetic marker gets passed down. So you can be born with, you know, basically genetic trauma that's been passed down. Mm -hmm. So you're born with that. Wow. You know, and that also can be passed down through cultural conditioning, by the way, too. 
right? So the way that if... Meaning the culture affected... Culture affected by that trauma or by those decisions or by those ideas. So both that nature and nurture both plays a part in creating that template that then you go on living the world in. So an example of the template is, you know, Galen, you and I could be walking down the street out here and something could be happen. Something could happen in the road that we're both looking at and you will have a whole completely different perspective on it than I will. Agreed? Yeah. Right? And oftentimes like... Like we live with those people, <laughs> like we, our primary partners, like we're watching the same thing and they have a completely different take on it than we do. And yeah. that's oftentimes the source of contention in the relationship. Yeah. Well, the, the, the wisdom of the universe and the kind of the humor of the universe is that we actually find our, we, we subconsciously choose to match ourselves up with people that help to widen that template. Which is why opposites attract. Which is kind of why opposites or, attract, right? Yeah, we're trying to fill, yeah, we're trying to fill in, we're trying to fill in our own gaps, essentially. Okay. Because at some level, at some level, we know there's more out here than I understand, but that happens often subconsciously. So then something comes up to create friction, uh, conflict, uh, issues in something. So we have to actually look at it differently to widen our perspective. And that will change our template. It, so is that also where the idea of like... Uh, you know, and I, I'll use it from a, a guy. You probably you've heard of Ron, Ryan Holiday. Yep. His books, like The Obstacles of the Way, it's one of his yeah. one of his books. I'm actually reading another one right now, which we'll, I'll, I'll probably mention later because it'll tie in, I think. But is that kind of the idea of the obstacles of the way? Meaning, yeah. you know, you get over the hurdle or go against, you know, you you grow out of the what is it? You uh, once you get past your comfort zone, that's where you start growing because you're just experiencing yeah. external forces that are not easy or you haven't learned yet. Yeah. So it's the same. That's thing. exactly yeah, exactly what we're okay. talking about. Exactly okay. what we're talking about. And that the obstacle actually is the way. I mean, love, I love how he's saying that. We always want to know, what can I do to ease, the, ease my suffering, ease my pain? Mm -hmm. Like I'm really, I'm butting heads with someone. I don't see their point of view. Well, the, the way you ease their suffering is to actually see their point of view. Mm -hmm. like, like really practice, kind of um, uh, get in the flow, kind of work, chew on it. Like really, what can you do to find a way to just change your perspective? And when you change your perspective and you have a different understanding about something, that suffering goes away. I find, well, to, to piggyback off that, like I, I try to read a lot. So I try to like, I guess, put a lot of information in my head. I think one mm -hmm. of my hobbies is learning. I just like, yeah. I just, I'm fascinated how things work, which is kind of why I reached out to you. Like I'm just fascinated how things work. And mm -hmm. I think a mixture of that and that input I put in daily and like the podcast is one of those. Like I said, I, this is 196 episodes. That's a lot of different people. Back, yeah. Walks of life, backgrounds, uh, expertise. And it's cool because I, it, I feel it's like a, I have a 196 episode education on just a bunch of random things that, you know, allow me. Because I do find that I'm starting to see stuff differently. I do find that I'm starting to connect the dots more in certain things and kind of take, you know, what you're talking about. And maybe the, la the last guy who told you played like professional basketball and someone that might work as a teacher like what um there's commonality and there's you know things that i think universal laws that just kind of work but they're all amongst they're expressed differently i guess and by different people and and a couple of the things um a few yeah so katie katie cock and she came on and she started talking about this uh thing called the uh the play program and the play program was basically the idea that if kids it was meant to be with autistic children first. And then she kind of was basically like, this is every child. And this is actually adults too. If you really think about it was that <laughs> like, if I go see my son and he's playing, he say he's coloring. She said, instead of saying, Hey, why don't you come over here and let's play with blocks. And he's like, uh, I'm coloring. If you just go and get into his world and sit down next to him and say, Hey buddy, can I color with you? And be like, 
what's he do? He's like, yeah, dad, here, I got my favorite color. What your favorite color is this. You grab that and I'm doing this. And this is this character. And what happened, she said, is that they naturally grow out of that situation because one, they're getting obviously one-on-one time with mom or dad or someone they respect. And then two, twofold is you're just kind of, you're diving down into that. Again, my, my children are four and under. So, I mean, they're in that, um, what you said, the rational part of their brain's yeah. not there. So they're yeah. just very, they're kids. They're, you know, they got these imaginations and they're just silly and goofy. And, but what she was saying was that like, that's something that I never even thought of until she said it. And she put it, she kind of categorized it or, or defined it. I will, I would do that with my kids unknowingly that I'm doing that. And then I would, I would leave that interaction and say, wow, that was a cool moment with one of my kids. And, and then I didn't realize that like, well, that's the reason for it. So it's kind of, when I take like, there's things that I don't even know are happening. I subconsciously, I think, know they're happening, but I can't identify them. And once yeah. I know it, then I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm going to now proactively go and try to just ease into what they're doing more, knowing that the outcome is usually very, very good for both yeah. of us. I mean, right. it's, I get way more, I think, out of it than they even do. So, um, but when you talk about like universe, I, you kind of made a motion, but like when you talk about like universal truths or laws or connections amongst everybody, there's things that affect you and I that affect someone out there that affects, but we, I think a lot of it is stuff that we don't even really rationally know because it hasn't been defined or it has yeah. been pointed out to us. It just is happening. Is there more, I mean, there's more. Oh to that. yeah. I'm there's sure. so much more to that. Open you know, Pandora's box. Oh yes. man. You just opened up. A, so this is one of the things we go deep into with our students is the study of natural laws. Okay. Um, and the, and the idea that there are a set of, there's lots of natural laws. We teach primarily a set of seven and there's lots of subsidiary laws underneath these things. If you really want to be successful in life, um, this is the first thing we jump into, into with people are, are studying and understanding the natural laws. And it's when we work with people, we come out from different avenues, right? We really come at it from a somatic perspective. Some people really just will take up different um, learning strategies, right? Some people are kinesthetic learners. Some people are visual learners. Some people are auditory learners. So we have different ways that we, we approach people. So some people really come in, love the somatic stuff where we come in through body-based focus. And other people are like, you know, I can do that, but, but I need something more intellectual that really is going to drive me. So the natural, the study of natural laws are a great way to meet people in that regard. And so what are natural laws? Is it okay if I riff on this for a couple oh, minutes? I'm, I'm actually, I'm getting excited for this. Yeah, yes. yeah. So what, are natu- so what are natural laws? Well, nature operates according to a, a template or a blueprint in order to create success. So if you look outside and you look at a tree growing out here, that tree is inherently successful. It's, right, it's, it's how successful because its job genetically is to continue to grow more leaves, grow more branches and grow more acorns. If you know, if we're talking about an oak tree, like that would make a tree successful. So if you look at it, if you look at a tree and you say, Hey, what is that tree doing that makes it successful? Because it's doing it with ease. It's, it's not exerting effort to do it. Mm-hmm. It's not struggling. It's not suffering. It's in, it's in the perfect alignment with everything it was ever designed to do. And that humans can learn to live like that but we're the only act, we're actually the only species that chooses not to. And so let me give you a really kind of a very simple example of a natural law. So natural law always has three things. Natural laws are omnipresent. It means they're everywhere, there's nowhere there's not. Okay. So think about gravity. So gravity is kind of an example of how a natural law works. So on on the planet Earth, gravity is everywhere, there's nowhere gravity isn't. The second um point of a natural law is they're always persistent and consistent. So again, gravity, China, Japan, Russia, the U S 
doesn't matter where you are, if you drop a bowling ball off a building, it's going to fall at 9.8 meters per second to the ground. That's the rate of acceleration in gravity. So every, anywhere you go, it's not going to change. So it's consistent. And the third thing, and I think the most fascinating, is natural laws are non-judgmental, which means they don't care. They don't care what you think about them. They don't care if you like them. And they're always working. They don't take holidays. You know, they don't take weekends off, holidays off. They do the same thing all of the time. And they don't care what anybody thinks about them. They're completely non-judgmental in some ways, which means that they're the only things you can actually trust because they're never going to change their mind, right? They're always going to keep doing what they're doing. So again, gravity, gravity is non-judgmental. You could know nothing about gravity, nothing about gravity and, you know, go to the edge of a building. And if you know nothing, nothing about gravity, you step off, you're going to fall to the ground. You could also know everything about gravity. You can be a gravity scientist, walk to the edge of the building, you step off, you're still going to fall to the ground. So gravity doesn't care how much you know about it or don't know about it. Gravity doesn't reward ignorance. In other words, it's going to do what it does. So here's a really fascinating thing. Gravity will either build bones or break bones. It's actually required for both, right? Gravity is required to break bones because if you step off a, you know, if you step off of a step wrong or you step off of a building and you fall to the ground, you're going to break a, you could probably break a bone. At the same time, for people as a, as a therapist, for people with a bone thinning, osteoporosis, what do we have them do? We have them do weight-bearing activities. We have them walk and lift weights because bones thicken in the presence of gravity. When astronauts go into space, their bones get thinner because gravity is it's a different gravity field than on Earth. So on Earth, gravity is required both for building bones and breaking bones, both. And, it's yeah. an, and it doesn't care. Gravity doesn't get sad when you break your bone and it doesn't get happy when you build your bones. Gravity is just doing what gravity does, right? Very non-personal around that. It's everywhere, always does the same thing, treats everybody the same. There's no prejudice around gravity. It's going to always treat everybody the same. So what's the difference? What's the only difference between whether you would build a bone or break a bone? External? I mean... Choice. Choice. That's the, the only difference is how you decide to use the law. You could decide to lose, use the law to break bones, or you could decide, decide to use the law to build bones. That's it. So for every natural law, law of more life, law of perpetual transmutation of energy, law of polarity, law of relativity, law of rhythm, law of gender, law of non-resistance, law of cause and effect, those are the primary ones we teach. Every one of those laws, it's all about choice and how you decide to use the law. Every one of those laws you can use to benefit your life or to um, suffocate your life, essentially. So, okay, so what are, so when you go like like law of gravity, we hear like law of relativity. Mm -hmm. um, so what were the other the other five? You said relativity was one of them? Yeah, so the, the law of more life. Okay. Basically law of energy is, is basically that first, but the hallmark part of it is more life, is that Everything's energy. The primary law is that everything is energy. If you look at quantum physics, like everything really is energy. Like I'm energy, you're energy. Everything we're looking at right here that looks solid is still energy, mm -hmm. right? And it's all vibrating at different frequencies, which is how we tell them apart, but it's still energy. And the modus operandi, the behavior of, of all energy is always towards more evolution, more life. So think about the oak tree again. Oak tree is always moving towards more life. And you might think, well, Brian, oak tree, gets, what if it dies? That's not more life. Well, what happens when an oak tree dies? It falls over. It deteriorates into the ground. The energy associated with the living matter of the oak tree is now absorbed by the other plants around it. And that's used to promote more life again. Right? So, it's always, we're, so the natural laws are always in the service of more evolution, 
more life. If you study any, any cyclical event in nature, you'll always see that's how it works. So the second law is a law of perpetual transmutation of energy. And what this says is that energy always moves from a non-form into a form and back into a non-form again. Okay. So energy will always go from the invisible to the visible back to the invisible in a cycle. Okay. Is there an example of that? Yeah. So think about a tree, okay. right? So where is the acorn on that tree before it's an acorn? No, yeah, you're right. Invisible. It's invisible, right? Yeah. And then it becomes visible, drops to the ground. It becomes a big visible tree. And it falls over, decomposes, invisible again. Gotcha. But the energy keeps going from the visible to the invisible to the visible to the invisible back and forth in a cycle. Okay. The energy just keeps recycling. So everything in nature goes along. So some things have a longer, a longer material existence. Some things have a lot shorter material existence. But that energy itself is always transforming from one form to another, from the visible to the invisible. And that's invisible. animals too? Animals too. From conception to, to life to yeah. death, which I'm assuming is back to the decomposing yeah. part of it? Yeah. If, well, if, 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 we, if humans were buried naturally, like kind of green burial stuff, yep. then they would, we would decompose back into the earth. You know, um, there's lots of traditions uh, that you know, bury people and embalm and that kind of stuff. And it's going to take a lot longer in that case for the, the um, physical tissue to decompose and break down. But it eventually will over time. Like everything will de decompose over time. It's just sometimes it just takes longer to do it. So when, when like the natural laws, so I mean, you look at uh, natural laws, you look at na natural, uh, natural number sequences, you look at all these like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the yeah. Fibonacci and there's another one that's like the three, six, nine or something. Everything comes back to a nine. I, I saw that one time. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I guess like it, it's, it's fascinating how people figure this stuff out, yeah. I guess. And then also how it is applicable or it seems to be applicable. Do you think that it actually is applicable or do you think that there's certain things like I'll take like a, the number sequence, like, is it applicable or is it one where people just made a really good case that they think it's applicable and that at some point in time it's going to be disproved as like, well, it was it's almost applicable to everything, but here's like a few that is not applicable. I mean, yeah. that might be going too deep, but you know, if someone's to me, like you said, with gravity, if it's a universal law, then it's, there's no, like it does not exist. It just always is no matter where. Right. So, I'm, you know, I think that that's, do you, cause a lot of this stuff is all, uh, it's not man-made, but it's man-made in the sense that it's, it's defined by man. Sure. Yeah. Right. So I think what some these numbers, I'm, I'm not super, super knowledgeable about the, about the number sequences. I mean, I, I, I know a little bit about the Fibonacci sequence mm -hmm. and a little bit about some of these other number sequences. So I think what, what we're saying is that people have become good about recognizing patterns mm -hmm. in nature. Like, so numbers are patterns. And it's like, oh, that happened again. Oh, that happened again. That happened again. Like, so the 80-20 rule is kind of like one of those, I've right? Been big on that. Right, yeah. one of those patterns yeah. sort of thing that shows up again. Oh, wait, again, again. So 20% of the people are making, are creating 80% of the outcomes sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And that is a rule that holds, maybe not strictly 80-20, it can, it can flex and bend, but there, but there is something to that frequency and that understanding and you think okay so if we can understand what those what the 20 percent of people are doing to create the 80 percent of those outcomes and we can take that and reproduce that in more people then we can get better outcomes right that's kind of the idea around that but that's a natural pattern in nature that that people have um pareto i think it's yeah, pareto. Pareto, yep. that has uh that he's recognized and then helped that become more applicable so i think there's will they be disproven some of the things that humans maybe i don't know i mean i, I think we'll have to see in time if they are we work a lot with um 
like the law of relativity, for instance. So a lot of how the laws of how we think. So one of, the, one of my favorite laws is that law of relativity. And the way we look at this is basically, this is the, this is the law we use almost all of the time to govern our thinking. It's probably the law we use more often than any other law to govern our thinking specifically. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's because we actually can't make a choice. We actually can't make a choice until we compare that choice to other choices. Yep. We, won't, we yep. won't get out of bed in the morning without using the law of relativity. Yep. Right? We'll lay in bed and you basically are laying in bed. And the only reason you got out of bed is because there's more benefit to get out of bed than to stay in bed. Mm -hmm. If there was more benefit to stay in bed, we would stay in bed rather than get out of bed. So all the time we're like, should I wear that or that? Oh, that, that'll be more benefit. Should I brush my teeth today or not? Oh, better to brush my teeth than not brush my teeth. Should I eat this or that? Where we're always, we're always all the time, invisibly, reflexively even, deciding this is better than that, that's better than that. So what the law of relativity says is that nothing can be categorized, labeled, or decided upon until it's compared to something else. It's also a law of comparison, essentially. Yeah. And so the, when we talk about success, or even mental health, really. If we talk about mental health, one of the things we run into with the people that we work with a lot of times is that they're using the law of relativity to put themselves in a pit rather than a pedestal. Yep. And so they're specifically comparing themselves to either themselves or to someone else in order to put themselves down. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Can, can someone... Like say, uh, I, I guess I would take mental, I mean, mental health can, and everybody and just in general, because you always, you know, take the idea of the pessimist and the optimist and, and, you know, is it one, is that genetic? Is that, you know, um, is that just kind of determined at birth? Is that something that you learn? Is that something that you just figure out you believe in? Like, I would say like myself, I'm a typically an optimistic person. And when I see and I feel pessimism creeping in in myself, I try to recognize it and basically say, nope, and then go positive or look at the silver lining or whatever might be there. I don't know if I'm naturally optimistic or pessimistic or if I'm choosing to be optimistic. Like, What, what do you think is, is it one or the other? Like you choose it or is it just, you just are or not? Yeah, I think it goes all the way back to that nature versus nurture, nature and nurture question that we asked that we talked about just a bit ago and, and creating that template. I think a lot of a lot of the reasons why we have reflexive um, re reflexive tendencies around how we view the world is based in that template. And so, if we grow up in situations where we feel like the world is not a friendly place, we'll tend to be more pessimistic. If we grow up in situations where we where we are taught that the world is a friendly place, we'll be more opt optimistic. Now, we do know the way we're wired is we're all wired for negativity bias. Well, we're all wired to notice the, the threat before the um, success because that's just built into our DNA around threat, threat avoids or keeping ourselves alive, really, right? Survival mm -hmm. awareness. Now, some people will tend to hyper-focus or stick on that negativity bias longer than other people will. And some people will, will identify, will, will notice that, okay, so I, there's a potential threat, oh, but I'm going to move on from it sort of thing. And other people kind of get stuck in it. And I think a lot of times that's, again, derived from that template, how we view reality, how we filter reality, how we make meaning of, of reality and the reality we're creating. And so, and that can be trained, right? That can be trained and it can be changed also. So we've worked with a lot so of people. It can be a choice if someone wants It can become a choice. Okay. It can become a choice. And, but to make it a choice, you have to become aware of choices. Mm -hmm. So some people don't realize it's a choice because they don't see other options. 
They don't, they don't tangibly have other options available to them. They might be told it's another option, but if it doesn't feel like another option to them, it's not really another option. So part of the initial work you do with people is help them really somatically feel like they have a choice. So you fight, like if you're working with a client and they come in and they say mental health or they just kind of down on their luck or whatever, is it, a lot of it is just trying to change like kind of a paradigm shift in their mind? Is that like what you're going for or is it something, um, I, I, I don't know. Like I, I think when I deal with like a negative situation, I am good at recognizing that it's negative for whatever reason. Maybe it's how I feel. Maybe it's like kind of going back to, um, you know, I'll go over it later, but like some of the stuff with like the burnout was just like anxiety, mm-hmm. stress. And it was one of like, my first instinct was, I know this isn't good and I know this is a negative on me. So did I have a solution? Did I have, I didn't. My initial thought was like, okay, I'm identifying this as a problem. Now let me try to seek out a solution. Yeah. So I ended up turning it into, I guess, a choice because I chose that it was bad and I chose that it wasn't like, oh, this is awesome. Like it was mm-hmm. so, um, and then from there that just, that changed my actions to try to deal with it. So is that, however, I, and again, I got that more from my internal feeling. Yeah. It wasn't like external someone saying, Hey man, you have anxiety or you have right. stress or whatever. It's just like, I could feel it like eating at me where I was like, okay, I'm like feeling almost sick, like physically sick because of this. Yeah. Not good. What's, what's plan A? Like what B, C, whatever. Like, what's the next step? So is it something like that? Or do you find that a lot of people, you have to externally add that input in, which might be like, Oh, aha moment. Like, thanks, Brian. Like, boom, I have it. And is like, how does that, I guess, work? Or how do you bring that to the forefront of, of a client or a person you work with? Yeah. So that's a, um, really great, really great question. Really great experience. So really for me, it comes, it comes from awareness. So we talk about kind of the levels of awareness. So a, a lower level of awareness is when someone doesn't even realize they have a problem. But they might just realize that maybe they grew up in a situation where everybody's burned out, everybody's stressed. And would this and, be below like ignorant? Like I just yeah, it's, don't it's, think it's a problem? Well, you don't even realize it. You realize, you mean you really think like this is how life is. So I had a, we were doing a, um, we were doing a program a um, couple months ago. And one of the one of the participants in our program, and so this is a program we call Outsmart Resistance to Change. We do it um, every couple of months. We're actually doing it next week. But one of the um, one of the participants was like, "Hey, I'm stuck. I'm struggling with something." And so she was there to hopefully help to figure out how to change it. And she grew up in Chicago. In the, I don't know Chicago very well, but this is the way she described it to me. She grew up in the, in the um, projects in Chicago. And the projects were kind of like a multi-block area. And she lived on the outside block of the projects. So she, could, she both experienced directly the, the living in the projects. And she could also look across the road to where the affluent houses were on the other side. And so she also had experience, wait... There's people living over there that are living way more affluently than we're living over here. Like we have, we're having a lot of gun violence. They're not having gun violence. We're having trouble getting food. They're not having trouble getting food sort of thing. We're not driving cars. They're driving really nice cars. And she also had friends that she grew up with in the projects that lived like deeper into the middle of the projects that didn't have that same experience. And she, she found it fascinating that 
though the, her friends that were growing up inside of the poverty and the violence and those conditions didn't even realize there was another way to live. They just thought all humans live this way. All humans live in stress and trauma and strife and trying to figure it out and there's no other options. And where she realized, wait, no, there's a difference because she was aware of something different. So at the bottom level are people who are burned out. They don't even realize there's something different. They don't have contrast, right? They don't have the contrast to build awareness. And then you have somebody who has contrast. So you're at least at the stage where you're like, hey, I feel, I don't feel great. And I know there's a different way to feel, right? So that's a level of awareness. Just having that awareness allows you then to start to think about making a choice. Because then you can ask yourself, which one do I want? Do I want to feel horrible or do I want to feel better? Because I'm, at least I'm aware that better is an option. And that choice can then point you in a direction to start to make more choices, to be able to start doing, because you, you, I'm guessing you did something differently. You, yeah. would, you would have had I've to been actively that. doing, yeah, different things and yeah. Right, so, so you probably had to make multiple choices in order to create that change. It wasn't probably just one thing. It probably wasn't just like you went to bed earlier. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's multiple. Yeah. Right, you went yeah. to bed earlier, you maybe started eating better, maybe exercise, maybe you went and got some counseling, maybe you um, took more walk. I know you probably did a bunch of, you probably made multiple choices to make that change, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. right? So, so it always comes from awareness first. So you have to have an understanding that there's something different and I can make that choice. And then somewhere in there, in those levels, is a sense of self-responsibility. Like kind of like, hey, wait, I have agency around this. I'm not a victim to this. Mm-hmm. And by victim, I mean, you know, because that can sometimes be a really charged term when we use that term victim. It's really that I have, I have a high level of autonomy around that. You know, and unfortunately in our, in our country, not everybody has self-efficacy. Not everyone has full autonomy to live the life that they really would want to live. There are barriers that kind of hold people in victimization. I would love to see that change over time. I mean, that's really important for, for our whole country to heal, for a whole country to get healthier, healthier. If you just want to kind of think about it that way, it requires people to be able to make choices for themselves that lead to health and not have barriers in the way to, in the way to do that. What's your thought on, because, and again, I, I know there's different levels to this and uh, like I always look if you want to make a change or, you know, some, someone wants to make a change, whatever that might be. It could be easy, it could be super hard, but I always feel like as long as you're like, you can make, as long as you're a living being, you can make choices to do something. I know there's external factors. Like if you're like, I mean, and again, I, I, I it's tough to say, like you can go all the way down to like, say you were in like prison and want to make a choice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I still think that you can make choices. And again, I've never been in prison. So, but it's the idea, like, couldn't you still make decisions in prison to best, best your circumstances that you have? Meaning like, so you could learn, you could read, you could. Sure. And then there's also like, if you're out and I hear this a lot with, you know, people and it's like, well, this, this job sucks. This area sucks. This person sucks. Like, but then it's like, okay, well then. What okay? If you don't like, you know, your spouse, you don't like your job, you don't like your your income, you don't like whatever. Like, I think you can make a decision to change. Some are easier than others. You know, some are. You know, it's very easy to say. Well, I'm, if it's you know less uh, less friction or less obstacles, it's easy to do. And some of them, I think, do require a lot of obstacles and a lot of moving. And it's like you're playing a very you know, uh, what's it called? like like layers deep of chess to make something happen. But don't you still, as a human, able to make that change or like able to make a choice, able to 
mean, once, once you become aware that you don't like it, aren't you then on the path of like, okay, what's the next step? And it takes discipline, but it's like, we all have that ab- ability to make a choice. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Or is that my, like, am I missing like well, something? As, as humans, as humans, we, we all do have the ability to make a choice, mm-hmm. right? That's something that's, that makes us different than other creatures on this planet is we actually have a free will to choose. And, and what we've talked about is social constructs sometimes make that really, really hard. Systems sometimes make that really, really hard. People around us sometimes make that really, really hard. But what you're really pointing out is so super important, Galen, is that we have to have both a willingness and ability to make the change. Mm-hmm. Like those things need to be present, a willingness and an ability to make the change in order to make any change at all. So those are both key components in that. So the desire to make the change is a piece of it, but the willingness and the ability to do it are what are the launching pads for any change that you have. If you, I guess what the thing is, if you had the ability to change something, but like some situ, like you said, the, the girl, let's take the girl in Chicago, mm-hmm. like she was able to be aware that there's, yeah. she, okay, like I like that better than this situation. Now her choice to get to there might be a long road. It could take yeah. decades for her to go from here to here. And I'm not saying that a choice is just a matter of like, oh, now I packed up and moved to the, across yeah. the road. But if you have the choice and you know where you're going, you have the awareness, couldn't your next choice be to, okay, I'm just going to make, maybe my first choice is let me be a little bit more aware of what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. It's very simple. You just look kind of, but I'm saying each step might seem insignificant, but you could have a minor choice to say yeah. like, I'm now going to look at things a little bit different, but you can make that choice. Yeah. It takes discipline and it might take thousands of small choices, but as long as it's getting you moving in that direction, and again, it could take one choice, it could take a million choices over 50 years to make that, but do you think that every human is capable of doing that provided they're not locked up somewhere under some like, you know, you go to obviously here some countries like, eh, you're kind of limited to just because of government or, you know, if you go to like a North Korea thing, like that could be like, I know there's stuff that we don't experience like in upstate New York. Right. So I'm, I'm sympathetic to, or, um, or aware, I guess of that, that, you know, that's an external, but cause I, I just look at like every choice. If I'm faced with a choice, I always just sit in my head. I'm like, it might be harder. It might be difficult, but again, take ownership that you can make that choice. Right. And I'm not making the choice because either whatever the payoff from either, you know, what they talk about like fear or, or love are kind of like two big mm-hmm. factors. I either don't fear the negative or I don't love the outcome to make a change. And I sometimes I'm aware of that. I'm like, you just don't want it bad enough. You, you say you do, but you don't because you're not taking those action steps. Mm-hmm. And I, I have that like internal dialogue a lot through a lot of things. Like, do you find that that's a, is that a correct way of thinking? Or is, again, is like that girl in Chicago that wanted to move, is there something that you think would be like, well, no, this, she wouldn't be able to do it because of X, Y, and Z. Mm, yeah, so I... I I, I agree with you in the idea that we can all do small things to like point ourselves in that direction. And a lot of, lot of times the way we work with people are what's the smallest thing you can do? Mm-hmm. Like what's the smallest thing you're willing and able to do consistently in order to get a different outcome that you want? So I want a different outcome. I want to end up on the other side of the street. Well, what's the smallest thing you can do today? It might be, you know what? Today you tie your shoes differently. Could be, hey, you take 10 deep breaths before you go into school. Could be you study a little bit longer. It could be you um, connect with a different mentor or something like that. But it could be just small little things. Yeah, so that goes back to the law of relativity, by the way, too. That, you know, small and large are all relative. Mm -hmm. And so we really get an understanding what's the smallest thing you can do 
to move in that direction. And that lowers the barriers to change. Because, you know, really we're hired, our subconscious mind is wired not to change. Okay. Our subconscious Same mind concept. is, yeah, so our, our, our subconscious mind is wired for survival. And remember, our subconscious is primarily organized, developed between the ages of zero and seven. So between the ages of zero and seven, now, now millions of years ago, when the life expectancy was what, like, 20 years, 30 years, something like the old guy in the village was 40, probably, you know, way back when, uh, when the old guy in the cave was 40 and like everybody else was. So humans were procreating at like what, 13, 14 years old, essentially. And lifespan wasn't very long. So you think about it, there wasn't a very, there wasn't a very long period of time to teach your offspring what would help them survive. And so our subconscious mind is wired between the ages of zero and seven to basically say everything I learned between that time is so critical that if I don't do it, I'll die. Right. And, we, and of course we're not living in that world anymore, but our brain still is living in that world. So if you learn between the ages of zero and seven, that, um, uh, that it's important to pick up your clothes before you go to bed. And then as an adult, like you're picking up your clothes before you go to bed and you're impressing that upon your kids and your kids are like, why are we picking up our clothes before you go to bed? Because you're supposed to pick up your clothes before you go to bed because I said so, right? That's what you're supposed to do. Well, why? Like, it, I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to die if I don't pick up my clothes, but I'll kill you if you don't pick up your clothes kind of thing. It's like, for you, it's really like, this is intense. Like, you got to pick up your clothes before bed. It's going to drive, yeah, yeah. drive me nuts. And that's because if you learn that as a kid, if I was hammered into you as a kid, like your brain takes that as this is, this is if you don't do this, you'll die. And so as an adult, when you go to change something, it's different than what you were programmed with as a kid. Your subconscious is like, wait, whoa, 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 what are you changing? What are you changing here? Because this could be, this is super dangerous. You change this thing, like you could die. So we know, like I'll give you a little bit of room, but I'm not gonna give you a lot of room to change this thing. So a lot of people have big dreams to change their life and they, they don't get there, right? They don't take the action steps because they make the action steps too big. Is too threatening to the subconscious. The subconscious then will bring up all the points of resistance that it brings up. It brings up body sensations that resist you. It'll lock down your energy. It'll drain you. You'll feel fatigued. You might have clouded thinking. You might get irritable. You might get angry, right? There's all these kinds of ways that your subconscious will create resistance to creating that change because, the, because your subconscious is actually wired not to change. So if you, if you have like, again, I'm just in this mode right now, I have kids under seven, is a lot of the like... Um, external input into their psyche now something that they're going to carry for the rest of potentially could carry the rest of oh it will yeah yeah yeah. they're like sponges right now so i like i always think like there's times where you know if i'm getting frustrated or i'm like i really try to like you know deep breath get out remove yourself from the situation like if it's just like you know a lot of it is built up throughout the day has nothing to do with the kids it's just built up throughout the day and then they're just you know they're they're doing their thing at night and then all of a sudden you just like snap like i like I've had a couple moments, I think, you know, in almost five years of parenting that it's like, okay, like you gotta, you gotta stop now. You gotta like go walk to the side of the house, like just cool down just because it's not even the fact that I just don't want them to see something. I don't want them, I don't want to do something that's going to, it's not going to hurt them, but it would scare them. Like, you know, I don't want to yell at them, you know, in a loud tone that's going to maybe freak them out and say, oh my God, like this guy, whatever. So, I mean, it's kind of one where... I'm, I'm aware of it and I try to catch yourself before you do it. Now, like I said, has it happened where I'm like, shit, like 
damn it like okay let me just walk off like my bad like and then you go to apologize and i try to explain the situation yeah. more of like you know dad shouldn't have snapped at you like this i just wanted you to do this and you know i guess at that point you go from the standpoint of you don't want to scare the kid and then all of a sudden he's like or she's like freaked out that like oh my god like dad's this monster mm-hmm. where i don't think they would but you know like it's like that idea that at this age i'm you're trying to teach them right from wrong but you're also trying not to like do something that's gonna like i said traumatize them for years to the point where now they have like i don't know they're 20 something years old and like don't want to talk to me or something it's like you know so i i don't know if that's actually would happen but that's something in my head is almost like a fear of like god don't do something that's gonna like screw them up later in life because you're just like you snap for like you know one night on a tuesday in the mm. middle of like november or something yeah so yeah well one of our one of our students has um has a couple of kids seven-year-old and a four-year-old and he does some of the most amazing stuff with his kids and and he's one of our somatic coaching students and one of the things he does with his kids regularly is teaches them how to name what they're experiencing so when he's getting really frustrated he basically and his kids can tell he's getting frustrated because kids know i mean you, you're yeah. even if you go into the other room like you're not hiding it yeah. and they're actually wondering what's dad doing in there so the tact we take is that how would you want your kids to be able to manage their emotions? Because they? they're going to get frustrated too when they get older, right? No, no, no human is going to be free of those challenges, right? It's not, so it's not about that we experience those things. It's how do we, what do we do with it? And so one of the things that our student does is when he gets frustrated, like, you know, he, he has a name for it. He calls it ropey. Like, like I had this, I feel ropey, like ropey is right here with me. I got this ropey energy. And can you, can you tell? And this kid's like, oh yeah, ropey is right there. And so his kids also have, have named what, how, like they're, they have a name for when they get frustrated and they're like, oh yeah, I can't remember their kids, what their kids' names are, but those so-and-so is coming on right now. So, okay, so what do we want to do with that? Oh, so we, we run, we run when we do that and we, we get that energy out or we do something. And so through that dialogue, he's teaching his kids how to, He's actually teaching his kids at a very young age, and this will be mapped into their system, how to healthy, do healthy emotional expression, not repress it, not try to hide it, but try to express it in really healthy ways, be able to verbally express what's going on and then do something physically to be able to meet what's happening in their physiology when you're feeling expression. And he, he just writes the most amazing stories about these experiences with his kids, and they're just so super, super heartwarming. Um, I almost wish that I would have, like had those experience, more of those experience with my kids um, when we were raising our kids as little ones. So it's really about, for me, it's like, how would you want your child to experience that as an adult? Because that's how, how you're modeling that for them now is basically what they're learning, how they're learning to do it. And it's really through, hey, this is what I'm experiencing right now. Like dad's getting really, dad's feeling frustrated and I feel tight in my chest and I feel like my shoulders are getting tight and I feel like there's blood in my arms and, and it makes me want to do this. And the kids can really get into that and they really resonate with it. And it becomes a source of dialogue for them to be able to really manage themselves in more healthy ways. Yeah, and I think, um, and again, maybe, because well, isn't it, isn't it true that like at, your brain doesn't stop developing until 25 or does it take longer? What's the frontal cortex? Or? Yeah. So our brains are always changing and developing, right? The okay. like we, neuroplasticity goes until we die. We know that now. However, your brain isn't fully matured in its development until 27 years old. Okay. So yeah, the frontal cortex isn't, and, and then after that place, we're just replacing neurons and pruning neurons, but the development doesn't really kind of like bing finish until you're about 27. And, and I'm assuming that, because it, it, it's a funny thing. I 
again, didn't know this at the time. It was kind of like that, the path, uh, or the, sorry, the play program with Katie, but like the idea that right around the time I was probably like 25, 26, 27, things just started to click a little <laughs> yeah. bit. And I'm not saying click in the sense of like, I figured out the meaning of life and all these crazy things, but I just started to become more aware. I'm like, okay, that connects to that connects to this where I found like, so I'm 32 right now. So if I was to say go back 10 years from now, there's times I'm like, I don't even remember what I was doing at 22. <laughs> yeah. But I can, but it's almost like clockwork. Like 25 plus, like on, I have very good like memory. I knew yeah. what I was doing. I kind of knew what I was thinking. I don't know if that's correlated to that. Yeah, totally. Okay, because yeah. it, it just yeah, happened, and, and it wasn't until I heard that, and I heard that eight or that 20. I thought it was 25, but 27. Yeah, 25, heard, 27. You know, somewhere. No, that's in fine. There, yeah. But e- either case, I didn't hear that number until I was like 30, and then I was like, aha moment. I was like, that that explains a lot. Yeah. And now it also explains a lot when I'm dealing with people younger than, say, 27. Um, you know, because I have friends that you know they might be in their early 20s and they're they're saying stuff about business or work or schooling or whatever, and it, a lot of it's things that I can relate to them a little bit. And then I talk to people that are older than me that I'm like, you know, kind of like the wise person where <laughs> you're, you're trying to learn from them and say, okay, like how did you do it? What did you do? What did you think? And I find that at each stage you're able to, you know, give like parenting a young child. Like I was a young child. I can give you my experience through my development, but I can't tell you how it's going to be at 50. I got to talk to someone that's older, older than 50 yeah. and I'm going to learn from them. Cause that's like, that's not far away. And, and you know, <laughs> as, as I find that time does fly as you get older. So, um, so that, that is, that is true then at 27, like yep. things are going to just start clicking a little bit mm-hmm. that things, I don't know, just, I don't know what, how to explain it, but just things seem like they just like interlock better at that point. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. I agree with a hundred percent. It sounds like exactly what your experience okay. is, is totally right on tack. So I, I was okay at early twenties. not know what the hell yeah. I was doing. So. <laughs> yeah, none of us, <laughs> none of us did. Um, so diving into like, I, I kind of want to talk about the business side of it. Cause that's why, you know, I'm in that more in life right now. Like we talked about like the burnout aspect and you talked about, um, business like i find i've heard the analogy from mark cuban like business is the fifth major sport and i've heard from you know as you get older and i think that um i even think from a standpoint of like competitiveness like business can be very competitive because i think a lot of like you said Mm -hmm. you wrestled and played football like at a certain point like i played sports when i was a kid like you get physically out of competitive mode and then i think it translates more into mental Mm -hmm. and then you're trying to almost uh master the mental side of things, which, you know, obviously is a lifetime pursuit. Um, how do you find, how does business, re- uh, business, let's say business accomplishment, success, whatever you want to term the, the, the grow, like the tree growing in mm-hmm. business. I find that every day I'm trying to be, just be better. Yeah. Um, how do you think that works with what you teach and what are some things that you found that are important or, you know, ahas with it? Cause um, and again, I know you spoke a little bit about it at the chamber, but mm-hmm. I kind of dive into that, I guess, the business. Yeah. So first of all, I believe that entrepreneurialism, like, you know, like running a business, growing a business, mm-hmm. that and, and having kids are the two most impressive and powerful catalysts for personal change that you'll ever have in your entire life. You know, one, one, so if you have one or the other, that's awesome. If you have both, like you are really on a change, like you are on a forced change track. Like you're actually, you're actually jumping into the lion's den of needing to adapt and change on a daily basis because kids will force you to do that and business conditions will force you to do that. So I think I honor anybody who enters into that arena because those arenas will 
force you to do something different. And a lot of times that forcing function is what is asking us to create change. And it's, it's also the thing that potentially could burn us out if we don't balance how we meet that forcing function. Because there, you know, as you know, running a business, there's so many things that you can't control. Right? You can't control the markets. You can't control the condition. You can't control the weather. You can't control other people's decisions. You can't control government. You can't, like, there's all kinds of things that you have no control over. So you have to really think about what is, my, what is my locus of control? And certainly with kids, there's a lot of stuff. As they get older, I have teenagers now, a lot of stuff I, I, can't, I can't control anymore sort of thing. You know, they take the keys to the car and they drive off and like I, they're, they're, they're gone. I, all I can do is hope that they come home <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> later on, you know, safe and sound. I mean, I can text them and follow them and track them and all that kind of stuff. But really, it, my locus of control got a lot smaller. So part of around burnout is have we defined that? How well have we defined actually what we, what we can control and what we can't control? Because trying to grasp and change that which we can't control is like a sure recipe for burnout. Because right, we're, we're spending a lot of energy on the futile thing. And it's also completely, it's also threatening to our mental, to our mental health, to, our, to the way we, and our emotions as well, right? If we're thinking that our outcome is dependent on something that's outside of our control that we're trying to control, you can see the kind of the trap that you fall into with that. So we have to really shrink that down into that sense of, of what do we have control over. And, and I go down to distill it down to the very smallest bit. And the, the thing that most of us can't, I, you know, I don't like to say all of us, um, but really what most of us, the majority of us have control over is our body, as our bodies. We can choose something to do with our, our bodies, our physical body on a daily basis, even more so than, I mean, I, we do train people to be able to consciously shift and alter what they would call their emotions. And we teach people to shift, you know, to consciously shift and alter what they would call their mental and the thought processes. But both of those practices are far and above more difficult than teaching someone to do something different with their body. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so, and your body, as we talked about before, the body mind, that, that body information is what your emotions build on and what your mentation builds on. It always builds on what's going on below in the lower parts of the system. So lots of times when it comes to helping people live really healthy, productive lives, successful lives in business, the first question is, what do you, how are you managing your body right now? How do you feel in your body? And if people are like, I feel heavy, I feel drained, I feel fat, I feel slothful, I feel I have pain in my body. That's the first thing we have to train to be, I mean, first thing we have to change to be quite honest with you. And people will be like, but wait, I mean, I'm not meeting my financial metrics. Like I've got to make more sales. And you go, hang on, that's going to be really hard to do if you're not feeling good in your body. And when you do feel good in your body, that gets way easier. How can we always make it easier? We go right to the body. And that's why we talk about the three blessings of burnout. The very first blessing of burnout is coming from an understanding that your body is always doing the best. This is where I will use the word always. You know, I don't like to think about all kind of all people, but from a natural law perspective, your body is always doing the best it can to help you live your healthiest and best life. Your body is designed to heal. It's programmed to heal. You get a cut, it heals. So if it's not healing, if your body's not in a state of healing, it means that there's something else out of balance. There's something blocking that natural process from occurring. And so that's where we want to dig in. And as soon as we relieve that block, 
relieve whatever's stopping that, the body will start doing what it's doing again, which is to always naturally move towards healing. So that's the first blessing of burnout. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, I get, um, because that, that's one thing that like, when you talk about the initial part of it, like the burnout, the change and stuff. So like, that, I'm just coming from my, you know, my, my example, but yeah. it's, you know, the last four and a half years, I've had multiple kids. I've done a lot within the business space. Um, try to take more on in the business space. Um, so then I find that, you know, kind of last year, it kind of came to this head of like, I'm getting burnt out. I'm getting mentally fried. There's certain things, you know, and I think a lot of it is like the, the idea of um, about 10 years for the 10 years prior to, and I say, I'll say, say five to eight years prior, because it's kind of an overlap. Like I worked out five days a week. I ate really good, like all this stuff. And then naturally like kids stuff starts jumping in. And then I prioritize health less. And then I find that there's a, for me, there's a direct correlation of not actively working out, not actively eating, not sleeping well, um, not drinking enough water, not stretching. Like my, my five physical things are who I just named. Like yeah. If I can do all five of those, I'm like doing really well. And I know it because I've done it before and I've done it to yep. the point where I've been, you know, firing in all cylinders and like felt limber and felt loose. And, and, but you know, when you kind of talk about the body first, like that's something that I know, again, we go back to the choice. Like I know that's a choice I have to do It's the discipline aspect, which I know is my choice to do it. And, and like I said, it's not easy because you're forming a habit, right? One of the things I tried to change because I know this, I drink a lot of coffee. I don't think the caffeine is I've probably got past the point of caffeine really affected me. But what happens is in the summer months, I just get dehydrated Yeah, because it's a diuretic. I don't drink enough water. So we talk about habit. I used to make, I'm, I'm kind of a coffee nut, but I would, I would, I would grind a certain amount of beans each night knowing it's good. I based on my met ratios and all that junk <laughs> that I'm going to get X amount of coffee. So what did I do? I, I took that down by a third, knowing that I have enough to fill a small, like, you know, therm, not this one, but this is water, but a small thermos of coffee. And I allot myself one of those a day at, in the, like, as of right now, that's it. As you can see, I'm drinking tea now, which yeah. usually I want it, even though I know that's a diuretic, but not as bad. <laughs> so that was a, that was like one simple health thing that I made a couple of weeks ago, knowing that like, Hey, if I, if I don't drink that much coffee, then I'm just going to drink water throughout the day. And lately I've had very, you know, I mean, kind of the clear pee aspect like i've been very hydrated yeah. but that, i know that one little thing is making the difference yeah. so so that's kind of the the idea of the small choices yep. and is it hard to do that one was easy ish I, I will tell you though if i drink that coffee by eight o'clock in the morning and i'm like okay i got a lot of time that i'm gonna be sipping on water the rest of the day or club soda or you know uh, seltzer or something like that but um it's still a choice that i made that has had a benefit so that's kind of the thing that I'm slowly trying to get back in. Yeah. So when you say the body, I, I totally understand the body first. Um, now, does the body to the mental aspect, your thing is you treat the body first and that will help the mental. Every time. Versus going, trying to do some kind of input mentally to help the physical. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so, so much simpler to do that because if you're, if you're not feeling well in your body, when you're trying to shift the a mental thing, you're you're not only trying to shift the thing that you think is the problem mentally, you're trying to shift also the input to the mental cognition, right? So in other words, if you really had to pee, mm-hmm. right? If you really had to pee and I was teaching you a really important math problem, 
I said, Galen, you got to learn this math problem and you got to pee really bad. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, well, come on, focus on this math problem. Like you're, you're like, oh my God, no, you're not going to the bathroom. We're not going to deal with your body right now. We're not doing with your body. We're dealing with this math problem. Like how well do you think you're going to learn that math, math problem? Your mind almost goes numb. Yeah, you're made by the exactly. Yeah. Right. So it's the same thing. So we have all these, what are called somatic markers. So there's always these somatic markers that are informing your mental processes. And this is your subconscious constantly feeding information into your conscious mind. And it, sometimes it can be really subtle. Sometimes it can be not so subtle. But either way, if you, if you have an upset stomach, your back is hurt too tight or you have pain or something, you, you're not really able to fully mentate on whatever the business problem is. Because it's your being, your, there's a part of your brain that is trying to deal with whatever information's coming from the body. So I think let's just get that out of the way. Let's just get that roadblock out of the way, back up the train, like deal with that in the body. Like what can you do small choices in your body so that your, your mentation has a clean mental slate to really be able to function at what's at hand in front of you, outside of you, rather than being clouded by the constant messaging that's happening inside of you. So, and it's, and again, like you said, very simple stuff. It could be like, hey, just changing the amount of coffee that I drink, change the amount of water that I drink. It can be getting up out of your chair. It's a funny story. I'm on a, um, I'm on a board of, uh, an advisory board for a group called People Before Patients, where we are really looking at changing how healthcare operates, like really kind of creating a different, um, meeting people first, right? We're treating patients as people first rather than, rather, rather than cogs in the wheel of the system. Anyway, I was on an advisory board meeting yesterday and uh, last month when I was on an advisory board meeting, one of the, one of our advisory board members was in so much back pain. She had such incredible back pain. She's like, I've never had pain like this before. And she was having a really difficult time attending in the meeting. You could just see her on her, it was a zoom meeting, right? Cause see on her face and she was just, was not totally there. She was not sharing and she just looked dull and gray. And we're like, Oh my God, hope she's, hope she's okay. Sort of thing. So we had a meeting again yesterday and she's bright and she's like, your eyes are bright. And she's like, and we're like, what? happened and she said so this is the deal for the last month i've been in this incredible i've never had pain like this before never had pain like this before and it turns out all i needed to do was go for a hike so she spent two just get out of her chair she was spending like literally 12 hours a day in her chair working for month you know for a month over a month every day Mm -hmm. and it was just that she was sitting so much that she developed an incredible amount of pain. So she went for, she went for hiking for a couple of days. She said, my pain's totally gone. You could see it in her face, her energy. She was, she was sharing. She was making an input. She was making a contribution just because her body was different. And all she had to do was get out of her chair. Now, previously, like that wasn't a choice she was even knew she had to make because she was so focused in on getting her, you know, getting her work done sort of thing. But when, now she's like, oh, I'm every day getting out of my chair for a little while because now I see the impact that not getting out of my chair made, right? So she had awareness around it and just a small little, a small little action, just get out of your chair, physical action made all the difference for her. Um, one of the things that I've been kind of, re- like I said, I, I read a lot and you know, naturally you pick stuff that you have interest in and one thing kind of leads to the other and it's something that I'm trying to do more because it has to do with like anxiety and stress and actually accomplishing more is kind of the idea of like less is more slow down or, um, you know, and, and one of the, the book I'm reading right now, um, the Ryan holiday book, stillness is the key is the idea. I mean, basically it's, we're so wired to just go, 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 go like everything. And like, I think everybody wants to grow and become better, 
but I think we do it at a breakneck, unsustainable pace where you're just like, well, if more's good or if good, if this is good, more's better. Yeah. Like just keep going. And I think I started to kind of fall victim to like, yes, I can do it. Yes, I can do it. Let me get, I'll, I'll just do it. Like, and I'm starting to realize like one, cause of family constraints and, and, and obviously just like, I can't do everything. I'm not, you know, Superman. I need to sleep and everything like that, that I've started to really dive into, you know, we kind of take the 80, 20, like less is more, like, how can I be more efficient? How can I be better? How can I just find better, more efficient ways to do my stuff each day? And, you know, I think that I've been really trying to focus on that lately, the last couple of weeks, and I don't find I'm as rushed. <laughs> I don't know if it's, you know, it, we'll see, but I find like mentally that I was like, I kind of, even the last few days, I'm like, I'm kind of getting through stuff and I'm like, it's not as bad. And I think that, you know, some of the, the small things I've changed is I've, I've kind of given myself more time between appointments. Hmm. I've, um, I ch- honestly, I check, I haven't checked my email at all today, like purposely. Like I just, because I found that, um, I learned the idea of like batching where it's, yeah. you know, instead of checking your email 20 times a day, check it twice a day and you're still going to see these emails. You're still going to get through them, but you get through them in about you know, you save so much time because you're not switching tasks. Right. Yep. So I'm trying to get more efficient at like, I'm going to do the work, but how do I do the work? And if I'm going to, you know, talk to people, when do I talk to them or how do I talk to them? And I found that I felt very unrushed all day or mm-hmm. all week. And it's felt very good. Yeah. And I've gotten stuff done and I've had good conversations and like this, this happened and this happened. I'm like, and, and even today, a friend of mine reached out. So are you going to be in the office before? I said, we got a podcast and, she goes, oh, I want to show you something. Can I, you know, you want to grab lunch or whatever? And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Like usually I'd be like, I can't got to do this, got to do that. And I was like, no, I actually don't feel rushed. And I had a good conversation with her. And then you came and I'm like, things just seem like they're in a better flow state. But I think I'm doing it from that idea of just slow things down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, it's, but the thing is, it's different than how we've trained or I've trained, wired myself. And it's also the op. It's like opposite. It's like slow down to go faster. And it's like. Yeah, but when I want to go faster to go faster, and like, well, not necessarily. And it just plays in your psyche because it's, and and the, the reason I'm saying it, I've, I've had a lot of input lately through you know a video or podcasts or books or whatever that keep many different people that are all kind of singing the same tune. So I'm like, okay, there's something to be said mm-hmm. by this, and it's it's uh, it's kind of cool. The last few you know week, but really the last handful of days that I was like okay, this, I feel good. Like, can I just kind of keep doubling down and getting better at this? So, um, I don't, I don't know. Can you speak to that or is that? Totally. That's, that's law of rhythm, man. I mean, so talk about another, another natural law. That's the law of rhythm. Okay. So the law of rhythm states that everything in nature has a toing and froing, a coming and going and upping and downing, right? Think, Think about the tides. The tides just come and go. Think about the phases of the moon. That's not always a full moon. It's not always a new moon. It goes through its phases. So everything in nature has winter, spring, summer, fall, right? That's the law of rhythm. So things are always in a predictable. If you really watch nature, you'll see that there are many things that are in predictable rhythms of change. And when you go outside of those predictable, predictable rhythms, like think about like climate change, right? Now the heat waves are getting heat, are, are, are larger and lasting longer into winter periods or, or the wet seasons are lasting longer going outside of where they normally would. Like we've built our lives around these, around these rhythms and all of a sudden now they're changing and that changing can cause a lot of problems. 
So when we don't follow the law of rhythm, when we don't as humans say, hey, what are my rhythms? What are my own rhythms? And when we identify them and then follow those rhythms, boy, life gets so much easier and so much more successful. And when we're like, when we don't follow those rhythms, when we work too long and too hard, and then our body will force us to, our bodies will force us back into that rhythm. And again, that's what burnout is, right? If we're pushing too hard, too long, we're stepping on the gas for too long, eventually our body will go, no more, no more. Like the tide's got to go out at some time and it shuts us down. And it shuts us down in equal degree to how hard we pushed. Okay. Because that's the law of rhythm. Also the law of polarity. The law of polarity is everything has an equal and an opposite, but it's always created as a whole. So health and burnout are also opposite sides of that same coin, right? Or Actually, I should say stress and burnout are opposite sides of the same coin because what causes burnout is too much stress. So if stress is foot on the gas, burnout's like foot gets slammed down on the brake sort of thing. So too much stress will correlate with an equal amount of burnout that we have. So we can choose to live in the law of rhythm and say, okay, so how much gas am I putting, um, how much gas am I putting on the pedal every day? I need to put on the, like the, the, the right amount of brake in order to keep myself healthy and moving forward, keep myself in balance. So really what you're speaking to, you know, is the law of rhythm is figuring out, Hey, what's your rhythm? And when you're in your rhythm, you feel pretty good. Right. You're like, Hey, yeah. how much time between my, what's, what's me for the perfect rhythm for the time between client meetings? What's my time for the perfect rhythm for the amount of time I'm in client meetings? What's the r- right amount of time for me getting up in the morning, going to bed at night for spending with my kids, for spending on work, for spending with my spouse. Like we all have, we all have a rhythm that we can, when we find and we get in that groove, life just seems like a joy for us. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think that's stuff that like, it's just odd. Like the, it it's yeah it's felt like things are just like you're not, you're not fighting it it's just mm-hmm. happening yeah um and it, to the point where like i said i'm like i feel like i have like some spare time which usually you know and and again i, I got this over a handful of uh you know months it's it's like you never everybody has the same amount of time so it's, it's impossible for you not to have enough time because mm-hmm. we all have the same yeah. but it's like how you like how do you use yep. your time and one of the things i kept i kept overhearing was the idea that like when things get hard or overwhelming, don't do more, prioritize and do less. And and again, it's counterintuitive because you're like, oh, I gotta do all this stuff. And I'm I'm like it's guilty as anyone with this. And then and for me, it's like, oh no, what do I actually have to do? Or what actually is important? And when you really give yourself permission to say, I don't have to do 30 things, I have to do three things, then it's like, oh, I do have time. And I don't feel like as crazy. And and I'm slowly trying to to, to like almost like just open up to that idea of like, okay, just don't, you know, find, you know, just, just let things happen, but don't be, be fine. With just not getting to everything, get through like the main things your priority. Like, um, you know, and it's, it's been a, it's a journey. Cause it's like, I'm kind of like, I'm learning a whole new system. And I think I might go back to that yeah. zero to seven. I was like, yep. I mean, I'm not that at seven years old, I spent, I thought you had to <laughs> do everything, but I'm, I, I'm getting to the point where I'm like, something's got to change. And, and you know, this is one where, you know, it's for me, it's like, okay, let's, let's put some emphasis on it. Let's learn more about it. Let's, whether that learning just makes me more comfortable to say yes. And there's a few other things in business that I keep hearing. And I'm like, Oh, that sounds like, sounds good. But then I'm like kind of that scared factor of like, you know, yeah. like Ooh, that, that almost feels like I'm going to jump off the building where it's like, but is it, it's probably not, but you know, you just got that, like almost that, 
consciousness in the back, like part of it's like push. It's like the the, the devil and the angel. One's like, mm-hmm. no, definitely go for it. And the other one's like, yeah, but and you're like, like you know, and you're kind of weighing that. So I think I, I'm going to end up making the right decisions. But it's like it's the same thing. You got to give. I got to have the confidence. I got to be not scared. Like there's, and, you know, you can as you, you know, as an adult, you can still feel those emotions. But they're different than like I don't want to go on the roller coaster. It's like right. now it's like I don't want to make this life decision or business decision that could have massive implications one way or the other, and it feels like high risk, high reward. But it may not be. It's just my mindset. Exactly. Like. Yeah. So it's funny because it just it's uh it, it it's like a trippy mind thing that you're trying to wrestle with. Yeah, and that's your subconscious, right? So your subconscious is the thing that's creating the fear. Okay. Right. So that so when I said the subconscious brings up the the barriers or the blocks because it's like, hey, you're gonna die if you do that. And consciously you might be like, wait, I'm not gonna die. But it still feels like that in the body. And what we like to say is what you feel make like what you feel makes it real. Okay. Like what you feel makes it real. Like I don't have you ever used positive affirmations before? No, nah, not really. So some people use positive affirmations and they like look in the mirror and they say, like, I'm valuable. I'm valuable. I'm valuable. If they don't feel valuable, I mean, I'm not, I think everybody's valuable. I think everybody on the planet is equally valuable. That's just my personal belief. And at the same time, the clients I work with, they like you have to feel you have to feel valuable in order to live a life of value, to order to create a life that you love and that you value. If you don't, you'll always make choices that are less valuable for you or that you value less. So people would use, this is why positive affirmations don't always work very well, is because we're trying to convince ourselves consciously of something that our subconscious doesn't believe. And our subconscious controls our feelings. Our conscious mind doesn't control our feelings, our subconscious mind does. And so that, that fear, like if I asked you, like how do you know it's fear? How can you tell? Uh, this, what well, it, I mean, it just, it just kind of, oh. Like what what does it feel like in your body? Sensations? Um, like doubt. Um, uncertainty um what are those sensations though what is i mean like a physical sensation yeah i guess to me would be a mixture of like stress anxiety maybe like stomach like stomach yeah it's i so what's happening in your stomach maybe i'm trying to think if i don't even know if it's like stomach almost like i'm trying to think of like doing stuff now or i think a lot of it's like stomach maybe like heart like almost like a heart rate kind of thing Mm -hmm. almost like um, I want to say like sweaty palms, but there's things that I think I would associate it with um, being like say say you have a say you have a conversation you have to have with somebody that you don't want to have, yep. and you typically like you build it up, build it up, you get all this tension inside. Like I don't really want to talk to this person about it, and it's usually it's confrontation or something, almost something like that, but a mm-hmm. totally different. But I have almost the same feeling. Like I'm like I. It, I think it will be fine, but then I get like this. It's easier just not to do it. It's easier just not to yeah. do it. And, and it's, you know, and, and to my eyes, it's like I'm procrastinating because it's easier and it doesn't force me out of my comfort zone. Where if it forced me out of my comfort zone, then it's like, and part of me is like, I should just rip out the band aid, go do it, it'll be fine. But then I know if I rip out the band aid, go do it, then I'm like, ah, but am I just like, did I just like ruin my life over this thing? Mm-hmm. Which I know is not happening. You can change just as quick as you went back. But, but it's that un, kind of irrational fear in my head of yeah. like, ah, this is just terrible. And really it's like, well, no, just do it and you'll be fine. So it, it's, it's just weird. Like there's uh, like for me, like for example, I'll, I'll use one to put it in context. Like some of my things is like, let's just say like talking to, let's just say answering the phone or responding to clients fast. 
my irrational fear is, well, if I don't respond to them, and, and I'm actually getting better at this, if I don't respond to them right off or pick up the phone when they call, they're going to hate me and want to use someone else, and this guy sucks as, at, at business. And instead, like like I said, email. Do I wait? Like I've gotten to the point if I'm – I would never, if I'm in, in the situation where I'm talking to you or anybody else, pick up my phone to talk to somebody. I don't care who it is. I mean if it's like my wife calling twice kind of deal, be like, hey, listen, like I just got to check on this. But – Nobody in like in the world would I pick up a phone if I'm with somebody. Like I literally would just maybe hit a fast text saying I'll call you after, but I would never not talk to somebody. So I think that would probably be one of them. Of like, hey, can I? Another example. I'm leaving out of town tomorrow through Sunday. Mm-hmm. In my head, I'm like, should I put up an away message and block my email and literally don't have email come in or don't respond to anybody till Monday? Like we're talking three days and two of them are weekends. Mm-hmm. But in my head, it's like, but. What happens if I miss something or something like? And I'm just I'm gonna force myself to do it just to say that I did it and kind of like pull that bandaid off. But that would be an irrational fear, I think, of like, okay, well, if somebody sends an email, you know, Friday morning, I don't respond till Monday morning. Is that gonna make me a bad person that they waited a weekend and a, and a day for my response? Nobody's gonna like. I always go back. Nobody's gonna die because of it. And if any, if somebody gets pissed off because of it, it's. Like, is that someone I even want to work with, you know? Mm-hmm. So that, that would be an example. Yeah. Like say like tomorrow I'm leaving, not blocking off all my stuff, not bringing my computer, like just checking out a couple days. My wife were going downstate. Like, can I do that and not be, be fearful that I'm not going to respond to somebody or get something or be like that, you know, now kind of person mm-hmm. that is okay to take three days completely off of correspondence. Right. Right. So, so just to back that up for a second, if it's okay if we do a little experiment here. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. So talking off the ledge here. <laughs> well, when you're when you're considering that, when you're considering going out of town, and like being unavailable for people, and like right now, like in your body, where do you feel that in your body? I th- physically, I probably feel it like here and here. Okay. Yeah. And what is so it probably like? like chest and stomach? And what does it feel like? Um, I think it, it's just kind of like a, like a little bit of like nausea, like kind of like, okay. like I don't, yeah. Yeah. So, so that nausea in your chest and your stomach, that's informing all the th- ways you're thinking about this problem, right? That that's okay. actually informing it. And if you had a different physical experience, you'd be getting, you'd be getting different information. So if I was feeling like in my head of like, I'm pumped, I don't have to talk to people for three days, then it'd be like, great, boom, boom, boom. Actually, if you felt like that in your body, you'd make it, you'd be thinking about it differently. So it's all being generated from how you're feeling. So, and so you've been programmed somehow, like before Mm -hmm. the age of seven about being something about being available and how that's, if you're unavailable, if you're not um, quickly responsive, like that's not a good thing. So don't do that because if you do that, that's going to be a problem. And so when you go to take that action, you feel it in your body. So you go to take the action of being unavailable, let's say, like going out of town and you'll feel like, oh, like your body will go, wait, check that. Don't do that. That's a, that's a, that's going to be, that could be catastrophic. That could, and it might not be like consciously you're like, wait, that's not like consciously you might think that's not going to be catastrophic. Like you can rationalize through all of it, but the rationalization doesn't change the way you feel in your body. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You've actually got to go to the body to change how you feel about that. So we could take you through a process that you actually start changing how you feel in your body around that. So that can be physically, that can be changed. Oh yeah. Right. And you can change it right now if you want to. 
Hmm. You want to do a little experiment? Oh yeah, let's do it. Okay, cool. So what I would say is wiggle around your, wiggle your body around a little bit. You want to break that pattern up. Okay, like, so I would like say, yeah, this. wiggle or stand up or do something, right? right. Just Shake want to kind arms, of, yeah, exactly. Okay. So the first thing you want to do is disrupt the, the pattern that's currently there of this nausea in your chest and in your stomach. Okay. Does that make like sense? Arm circles. Or whatever. Yeah, whatever it is, okay. right? Just, we want to just break it up first. Okay. okay. Now, re-identify, re-identify with those sensations in your body. Just kind of note them again. They there? Not as much. Okay. Oh, they're already, they're already a little bit less. Okay. So yeah, that's interesting. I, mean, I feel like, yeah, arms are... <laughs> Yeah. Right. So we just did a little bit of wiggling and it's yeah. already created a change in your body. Like if you want to take a walk, you might all of a sudden be thinking about it differently too. Right. Or so break the, a sweat. Or break a sweat, out. whatever. You could go take a walk. You could go do some stretching. You could do whatever. And you might be like, oh, I'm kind of thinking about this a little bit differently now. Just, just from the body change. Now we could also ask you, hey, so, you know, this is going to sound kind of funny, but kind of breathe into that, breathe into your chest and your stomach a little bit more. Okay. So you actually might even bring that like turn up the volume knob, turn up the intensity a little bit on that sensation in your chest and your stomach. Just a little bit. Just, try to feel it more? Yeah, just try to feel it more a little bit. Let me know when you've just kind of taken it up one one notch or two notches. It feels like, yeah, it feels heavy. Like it feels like... Oh, heavy now. Okay, feel, great. Well, it feels like I'm like... feels like I'm like pushing both through like a megaphone. Okay. Yeah. Okay, great. So you got that sense. So hey, yeah. what's the opposite of that sensation? The one I'm feeling now? Yeah. Like just like loose and like limber okay so like, loose and limber like ex exhaling like de like everything just kind of collapsing down like like we take a big breath and just exhale and everything just kind of sags down okay cool so just, yeah. just really quickly identifying loose and limber so kind of wiggle where in your body do you feel loose and limber anywhere in your body could be the top of your head little hair little toenail wherever i kind of feel like shoulder down the elbow shoulder in your arm. arms well, i'm shaking my arms but that's where i'm perfect okay yeah. so shake your arms a little more so shake your arms a little more magnify turn up the volume in that loose and limber okay make that loose and limber as big as you can and this is more like physically feeling it in the body yeah physically feeling it in the body yeah they feel like like spaghetti like kind of just grow that loose and limber feeling into your system let it let it kind of flow through your system And so I noticed a little yeah. smile on your face. Yeah, it's just kind of, I'm just trying to think of like, this one, one people are probably going to be like, this guy, like I'm actually moving my arms, so it kind of feels yeah. silly, but like, it just feels like, I mean, it feels loose. Like I can feel it kind of like slowly creeping in. Like, Good, yeah. yeah. So let it keep kind of creeping here. Okay, make, make it kind of creep it in as big as you can. Okay, so you just okay. like. Yeah, just make it as large as you can. Okay. And as you're making, as you're letting that creep in, as you're kind of growing that loose and limber feeling, how can you, in a way that feels authentic to you, let your people know that you're going to be away? Like physically tell them? Yeah. I mean, just so you can do it like, I mean, like a vacation email or whatever that might, or a way message, whatever. whatever. Yeah. 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 And how can that benefit them? They can just chill out for the weekend and like just they can chill out for the vibe weekend. Vibe yeah. Out. yeah, they can vibe out. What else? Uh, how it would benefit them? Yeah. I, um, if you get stuck thinking, just kind of wiggle a little bit more. Like literally, like let that come from that sensory experience. Like kind of keep one eye, keep one mind's eye on that sensory experience, that wiggling. And I'm going to also ask you, like, so if you have a client, like. A client calls you on Monday and says, I got your message. Thank you so much because. Uh, 
we didn't really need what we wanted or there's a problem we solved or I got the, we actually went out of town for the weekend and did something fun. That, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Keep going. Um, it, Turn around. Let's play, I, let's play with it for a second. What if, yeah. what if we were switching roles and like I was going away for the weekend mm-hmm. and like you were calling me for something and you got a vacation from, email from me that said, hey, I'm away for the weekend. I'm, uh, gonna, I'm going down Southern New York with my, with my wife. We haven't had a chance to be away together for a while. We're, we know the kids are taken care of. We're really looking forward to this. Can't wait to see you when I come back on Monday. Maybe I think to go do the same trip. Okay, that's great. You could be like, oh, wow, well, I should probably go out. Um, I mean, if I went that detailed, maybe people would be like, oh, how, how was your trip? Yeah, like, right. Um, uh, hopefully compliment and like, oh, I'm glad you got out. It's a nice weekend, nice weather or something like mm-hmm. that. I, I mean, am yeah. I going down the right path? Well, yet? yeah. Well, my question now is how, how um, do you feel about sending an email like almost looking forward to it now versus saying exactly dreading it right so now you're not dreading it's not, it's not so it's not something you have to force it's almost like through. i'm excited to just like hit exactly right gotcha. so you don't have okay. to force through it anymore yeah you don't have to force through it now you're actually in the mode of doing it you're actually you're, you're you know the momentum's already moving towards that direction mm-hmm. and the cool thing is that that comes through to your clients like if you wrote an email like like on your heels, like, oh gosh, I'm gonna send this email. Like, I'm gonna be away, you know. And you might, in the words, it might be like, I'm gonna be away, and I'll see you on Monday. But between the lines, is I'm, I don't want to go. I'm, I'm worried about. I, I want to go away, but I'm not sure about going away because I'm not sure how you're gonna think about me when I'm away. I don't want you to get mad at me because I'm away. I want versus, hey man, I'm going away to take care of myself. I hope you take care of yourself too. This is really, really important. I've experienced burnout. I don't want you to experience burnout. I want to make sure that you get what you really, really want from our relationship together. And so I'm here for you, totally refreshed, totally back on Monday. I'll tell you all about my trip. I want you to take a great trip too. Let's talk about that over lunch, right? I mean, it's a totally different energy. Mm -hmm. So how you set yourself up to write the email comes from your body state. And we just did just a very quick exercise to shift your body state in order to put you in a forward momentum direction to be able to send an email that resonates with somebody and they, and they feel closer to you then, right? They feel close. They're like, hey, I know Galen a little bit better now. Hey, man, how was your trip? Yeah. Like, tell me about that, right? That builds trust. That builds um, the no like, and trust factor, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Yep. You start to have a, a, not only a client, but a friend, somebody in your community that you can connect with. So important to have the energy moving forward like that, but it always comes from your body state. I like that. I'm gonna send out. I'm gonna send out an email, Brian style, and see, and see what people <laughs> say. I, I, I mean, and the thing is, I, I can't like. It's also one where I know like the benefits of, of like. Let's say that example like. Like I know the benefit of like. Oh, I'm gonna be more rested. I'm gonna be more energized. I'm gonna be more like. When I was saying, uh, I, I told. Well, I, I can uh, mention before, but. Like one of the things I was trying to deal with, you know, anxiety and stress was I looked into meditation and, and mm-hmm. kind of got an instructor and learned from him and, you know, I talked to him a bunch and he fascinating man. And one of the things that he said to me was, he goes, so what do you, what do you do on weekends? And I'm like, well, you know, I have kids, you know, I do housework, yard work, you know, I try to, you know, get to, you know, sometimes I'll sit there and work on some stuff for work, like in the morning or at night. And he goes, okay. And he goes, he goes, uh, let me guess. So let's say Monday through Friday, like typical work week. He goes, do you work really hard 
at your job? And I said, well, I'd like to think so. But I said, I put a lot of time and energy and thought into it. And he goes, okay. And he goes, so why don't you go that hard with rest on weekends? Like meaning, like you said, kind of that yin and yang. Like yeah. If you're going to go like 100% Monday through Friday, he goes, don't go 50% of rest on the weekend and 50% still in the business. Because he goes, you're not, you're not breaking it down. So it's kind of less is more. Like my mindset was like, well, they have a couple hours, like I get up early Saturday morning because I know I have a couple hours before the kids get up. I'll just like cram through a couple projects that I wanted to look at or research and I'll do it because I'll get some time back. And then it's like, well, and it wasn't even a sleep factor. It was more the mental factor of like, well, if you get done on Friday and you wake up on Saturday and just like cramming more done before the kids get up, which is, I mean, you had kids or you have kids yeah. and young kids, like that's just as much work. It's like, you don't, mm-hmm. you never turn your mind off. And that was where I was getting to the point where it was like, Every day I was doing something that was mentally strain, yeah. straining, and I was like, there was no escape of it. And I was like, my, I just felt like every day was just like, I, I don't have any time just to like relax and think and let my mind just slow down because it was just like, go, go, like grab this, do this, fix this, like think about that. So that's one of the things I'm trying to get better at on weekends. I call it rest hard, like just don't do anything in this past week and I actually did a really good job. There's a couple things I wanted to do. And this is, I'm kind of like on a good, like five, six day stretch right now. I was like, there's a couple things I wanted to do. And, and, um, one of, one of my, uh, friend of mine stopped in on, on Saturday and kind of stayed longer than I anticipated because I had some stuff to do. And then after I wanted to mow the lawn and do a couple other things and I didn't have time really to do it. And I was like, and I remember telling my wife, I'm like, I'm just going to go, I don't have enough time really to mow the lawn. So I'm just going to go read for an hour instead. And it was just like, good. I just went and sat and I just read and it was like this quiet and it was peaceful. The kids were napping. I was like, this just feels, this feels nice. And, but I really rested hard all mm-hmm. weekend and it, and, and I did end up mowing, but like mowing was like, I had, you know, was listening to stuff and just like cruising, but it was the idea. Like I didn't let heavy stuff. Like, uh, I say heavy stuff, meaning like, heavy thinking things. I kind of just punted it and I did it Monday and actually I came in and had a really good meeting with uh, Jen on month or not Monday, sorry, on Tuesday because of 4th of July and then like it kind of just rolled in and then and like, so I find that I've been actually pulling less from my to day to day and less from my mental, like tapping into my men- mental state less, like the thinking, critical thinking. And I found that I've just like, I was like, okay, I'm actually, I'm actually more refreshed. Like I was actually like really looking forward to this. I was really looking for, I wasn't like rushing around and being like, who's coming today, Brian? I'm like, I was, I've been actually thinking about this a lot during the day with other stuff. Cause I'm like, I just don't feel like I'm like, I'm just kind of in the groove right now. So mm-hmm. like, this is cool. I get to look forward to this. And I got this meeting I'm actually looking forward to. And I found that my meetings day weren't as rushed as I typically yeah. would feel they were. Like I'd be in the meeting being like, okay, this is great. But like, all right, I got to hurry up and wrap this up because I got to run to something else. And my mind's already there when I'm supposed to be here. Right, yeah, I, I exactly. didn't feel that at all today. I was like, you know what? I feel good. Like, hey, do you guys want to, you know, I got a couple questions. Let's talk about this. Let's, you know, oh yeah, story. Tell me a story. Like it, I felt a little bit more just relaxed all day. And even right now I feel like relaxed. Like, like I said, I'm going to send the best damn like email yeah. vacation thread <laughs> today. I'm just, I'm just rolling. So, but it's funny how that, I don't know. It's just stuff that I'm like, um, learning about now but it's like a paradigm shift for me it's kind of yeah. like, okay you can you don't have to do be everything to everyone and do it now like you can worst case and, and again it always comes back like if somebody calls me on monday and like you are terrible you didn't respond back to my email on friday then it's like 
okay, like I, that's fine. Like I, I actually like I'm okay with this. Like you don't have to. I don't have to work with you. You don't have to work with me. Like and and that's almost like that's probably the worst case scenario. Right. Like someone gets upset, but then you're like that's you get upset because I was away on the weekend with my family doing something. Like mm-hmm. it's just so like that's where I go back to. You said like the the logical part of it. It's like well, it doesn't really seem. Why would anybody care? Yeah, like, it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and how exactly, and how can you always come from a place where you're conveying more life, right? That that that's the law of more life too. It's like how can you always come from a place of influence and conveying that idea of more life? Like, hey, me me being away for the weekend is good for you. It's good for me. It's good for everybody, sort of thing. Yeah. Right. Rather than coming out from your heels and being like, oh, you know, I'm not sure about that. You know, I'm not sure how this is going to work out, kind of thing. You know, and at least then you're moving from a forward, you're moving from a forward place, from a forward place, which hits, which impacts people in a really positive way, right? Become yeah. what we call, you know, um, we become what we call a person of increase, right? So a person of increase is someone wherever they go, they're always radiating increase. They always bring more wherever they are. Hmm, I like that person of increase. Yeah. Great book. If you haven't read it, it's called the science of getting rich by Wallace Waddles. And so we talk about in terms of the, it, it's a person of increase is always using what we call the impression of increase. You're always giving the impression of increase. Hmm. And so you have to live your life that way too. You have to live your life so that you're authentically sharing that. So that would be like a subconscious behavior at that yeah. point. Yeah, exactly. That you're just eluding or exuding it, but you're not like, like I would say when, when I watched you up on stage, you were, um, you were not monotone. You were energetic. Obviously, you felt passionate and knowledgeable about the topic, but I think you, you know, you're, you're trying to get, you know, and, and of course, it's always like right after lunch in the middle of yeah, the afternoon, right and you kind of got some people yeah. that are like kind of sluggish. <laughs> and, and, but still, it's the idea like if you were to get, came up and match that energy, everyone would have fallen asleep. Right. So you bring a little bit of like pizzazz there, and people are like, wait, who's this guy? Add in some humor, add in some, you know, some little things, little off, like hand comments, because I mean, there's a, there's a showmanship to presenting, you know, I mean, I'm sure your first presentation to the one I saw was they're way different. Yeah. You know, you got better or, or, you know, fine tune some things. But I think that I would say that was almost, I would feel like a person of increase in the sense of like, you're like exuding out the energy to yeah. people. And then they're like, Oh, I'm just tired. And I've been here since nine and I just ate and I want to take a nap. And now I'm like, wait, this Brian guy is talking about burnout. Like I got burnout and it's like, Oh wow. He's, I don't know. I don't know even know if it's cool, but he sounds excited about it. So I'm going to listen. <laughs> yeah, and that's, exactly. And I think, but like I said, you, you push that out versus, uh, you know, like I said, if it was the opposite, right. Like, God, this yeah. guy sucks. Like positive, like burnout. This guy's burning me out. And instead yeah. it was the opposite. I was like, Oh, this guy's energetic. And you know, and that's, that's one of the things that drew me to usually when you hear speeches, like there's a lot of people you're like, Oh God, like even that the topic is like perfect. Like oh, I can't, I, I physically cannot listen to this person. Like, give me <laughs> yeah. this information. Like, just give me the, give me, give me the, uh, the transcript. I'll read it later. Right. And yours was different. It was like, no, I'd actually want to hear this guy talk. Cause he, he's making like the brain look exciting. And, and I mean, I think it's exciting, but some people don't, but I think, you know, I think the topic was, uh, um, I, relevant. And I think that people, you know, I think there were certain people that really jumped out. I remember uh, one of the, I don't know if you know him at all. He was the guy that asked you the question about uh, the three to one thing. Yeah, right. Dave, yeah. And uh, I, saw, I saw him later in the day. I'm a big math guy, Dave. I said, yeah. you know, but, but he was uh, kind of busting on him. But he goes, if three, or basically it was the idea of like one negative has to be overtaken by three positives. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that? So, like, yeah. So basically to, to have your physiology be really healthy, you, I mean, uh, 
all remember, I, you all have negativity bias. I mean, we kind of talked about that already. So we're already we're always scanning for challenge. Like what's challenging? What's threatening? Right? We're always scanning for that threat. Mm-hmm. So those things seem to be pervasive. They're everywhere. Now, in order for us to have a really healthy physiology, we have to have a balance of three positive experiences, what we call renewal responses, to every challenge uh, or threat experience that we have. Is the three to one ratio, and that's a, and that I just want to say is when you are in a, in a safe environment. Actually, and it's like if if you're on vacation, that's what you need. It's even higher than that in most workplaces. We're talking like five to one. Really, in today's work world, it's more like because stressors and threats are so like constant all the time, it's actually ups that need to get the five, like even going up to five to one, five positives to one negative or five um, supportive to one challenge ratio. And so I think the comment was, how, what, how am I going to get any work done? Right, if I'm if I'm spending all day trying to get this five to one or this three to one ratio, yeah, like how am I yeah. getting anything done? I said there's really two parts to that. One part is we start off with these nudges, like these micro nudges, so that you're not taking off half the day to get a positive response. Because you know I've done a lot of this work with people, and what can happen is you know the the weekly yoga class like is not cutting it anymore. It used to be oh, I go to my weekly yoga class and I feel so good, and then that that helps me for a couple of days. Well, forget about that now. You go to your weekly yoga class, you come outside of it, you get a text that there's a problem. It's like all the benefit that you have from the yoga class like quickly gets seeped away. Mm-hmm. And by noon, you're like, did I even go to my yoga class today? It's like I need to know kind of thing. So we need to find ways to do these micro nudges all day long so that we weave them into what we're doing. So we're actually getting a drip of positive, um, uh, healthy, supportive experiences constantly to, to come above the negative, you know, the threatening experiences. Now, the other part of that is that when you start doing that, there's a, a building effect, almost like a momentum effect that you start experiencing less threat in general the more positive responses you have. You become more stress resilient, really. Mm-hmm. Like, and then something that would have stressed you out a week before, two weeks before, the same thing can happen again and it doesn't even impact you because you've got such a higher load of, of positive effects in your system. Does that make sense? So yeah. you become more resilient to it. And then the negative things that were showing up, they're not even really showing up anymore. So at the same time, you're nudging up your positives. Those threat responses are naturally going down. So those aren't even constant. Like those are in dynamic relationship all the time as well. So what would be a positive response? Like what would be a nudge, a positive nudge? So a positive nudge could be getting up out of your chair and shaking your body like we had you do. That's Mm -hmm. a simple positive nudge. Another positive nudge, taking a big, like a a sigh. Believe it or not, that's a positive nudge. That does something in your physiology, both in your brain and in your lungs. Uh, Taking a deep breath can be a nudge. Um, Having something in your office that you really love to look at could be a nudge, like a picture of your dog or a picture of a place that you love going to on vacation. That could be a nudge. So there's all ways you can nudge all day long. You know, you can even have like a nudge partner. Or like a sip of like a sip of tea. Sip of tea. Slow down. Like just instead of just gulping it, like slow down. Sip your drink. Really taste it. Mm-hmm. it. Takes five seconds. Like really taste it. Let it be in your mouth and drink it down. Oh, okay, that really tastes good. And then go back to whatever you were doing previously. So those are all ways to be mindful. And nudging really is about being mindful. It's really about just taking a pause. Just like slow, like slow time down. Go into slow motion just for a moment. 
and just be with that supportive thing. I, I so, and again, this is weird. So like when I was talking about like not rushing today and things kind of you know just happening, like two things happened today. I had to go down, and. I had to pick up a key for a place we're going to, and it was down at my parents' camp. Long story why I was there, but it was there. So mm-hmm. I had to go down. I went in. Nobody was there, so I unlocked the door, went in, grabbed the key, and I was on my way back out. And I'm like, actually, I got to the bathroom. Went back, peed real quick, came back out, and there was two, my two family dogs that were there, my parents' dogs. So, And the first time, I was like, I'm going to lock up. And I was like, oh, I should should have petted him. But I'm like, nah, I'm just going to lock up and go. And I'm like, I got to the bathroom. So then I went in, went to the bathroom, came back out, and then I stopped and like, you know, basically petted both their heads for a few seconds and you know they kind of did like you know the, the approving like yeah. little squirm that a dog would do and then i like locked up the door and put the key away and left but i felt like at that moment for some reason in my head i was like i should just pause and do that but then i ended up pausing and doing that and it felt like and then i actually thought about after i did that i'm like i can't i'm like what time is it? i gotta get going to my next thing i was plenty early i got everything done i had time before the next one and then i ended up having time to like well, i don't know if i'm gonna be able to eat today so i was able to stop grab something quick to eat which the person had to make which i was usually would be like just grab something quick and go and i was like okay i'm fine and then i ended up i actually went to a local uh kind of like i see like state park kind of like one of those uh state park things or mm-hmm. lake things and i kind of went down and sat because i had some time to kill and was near my appointment so i'm like i'm just gonna go park there eat and do a couple plan things I didn't get to this morning and read a little bit, a couple pages in a book because I'm about 20 minutes early and then I'll go. And I did all that, got there early. That appointment ended up early. I got here more time. Like it's just funny that all day has just been clicking, but I've been slowing, I, not really knowing, but now that I'm like thinking back, I was able to slow a lot of things down today that I just didn't feel like rushed. And I felt like, Oh, it's nice that I have time to do this. I'm not just like, oh my god, I'm gonna like speed to my next thing, and like I'm checking text messages, yeah. I'm walking through the door, and I had none of that today. And I just like my all day, I've just been feeling good. And then I, you know, we leave tomorrow, and I'm like I had this day before, you know, kind of like a mini vacation that you're excited for, and it's uh, so it's kind of like all these cool things. But it's, you know, I'm trying to tap in more to like, why do I feel that way? How am I feeling that way? Can I double down on that? And I'm slowly trying to get there. Um, so yeah, it's just fascinating how all of it intertwines, Yeah, you know, the body, like body, mind, everything works. And, you know, I, I go back to the, uh, like I said, reading a lot about Ryan, the, a lot of books, Ryan Holiday talks about like stoicism and a lot of that, like the idea of, you know, you know, less and, you know, the idea of like stillness and meditation and, and calming and not expecting of others, like kind of like focus on yourself and, you know, it, it's kind of the idea that like you're like an internal spiritual being and that like everything's just happening and it's just how you react to what's happening it's not necessarily like not like like a like someone saying something bad to me or saying something to me doesn't make it bad they're just saying right. sounds to me mm-hmm. it's my it's how i in or how i receive it and how i internalize it and, and process it that is giving me the emotion. Yeah, that's the filter, the filter, right? So exactly, yeah. right? So exactly right. So someone says something to you and then we would all filter that differently. We yeah. all construct it differently into our reality. Yeah, and if I want to, I could choose to just not let that affect me. Even though it might be hurtful or maybe it's like makes me stressed or anxious or combative, it's like, yeah, but if I don't let it do that to me even though it is if i just kind of push that feeling away and just say you know what just let it roll off you know roll off the my back kind of thing and now i can just let it go am i just 
you know, then I into the next thing because it doesn't, it's just like, do you have like thick enough skin or body, you know, armor to kind of knock it away? Yeah. Or, you know, and, and a deeper question you could ask is what is it about my filter that's interpreting that as being hurtful? Yeah. So that's a way you can actually start to understand your filter a little, a little deeper, bit more, yeah. right? So deeper question is, so if I'm interpreting that as being hurtful, there must be something the way I'm filtering that that's making that mean that it's hurtful. Because they could say the same thing to somebody else and they wouldn't maybe filter that it's hurtful. Mm -hmm. So there's something different about our filters. Yeah. Right? And especially if so something says something or something happens and it's reflexively hurtful, like you reflexively feel it in your body as being, oh, oh, that, you know, ouch, sort of thing. Then the question is, is what is, about, what is it about my filter that's filtering that which just happened in a way that I'm making it mean that it's hurtful? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, it just, it's, it makes you think. Yeah. It goes a layer deep. Um, and I think one of the, that kind of ties in is the idea of like bigger questions. Mm -hmm. I've heard that term. And I think that's something that I've tried to do lately. And this is taking ideas from different business people. And, uh, you know, I've been reading a lot of like Tim Ferriss lately and that, you know, Tim, yep. Ferriss, oh, yeah. yeah. It's yep. like, so he's kind of like holistic, but he's definitely a, like an efficiency kind of guy. And, and a couple of the things, one of the things he said was one with the 80-20. And it was the idea of around like, okay, what 20% is bringing you 80% of your happiness and desired outcomes? And then he goes, what 20% is bringing 80% of your problems um, and not happiness, unhappiness, yeah. unhappiness, not <laughs> unhappiness. So he says, I, I filtered through both of those. So I actually printed out a sheet of paper where I put one at the top, one in the middle, and I kind of went through it. Like, what is causing happiness? What's causing non-happiness? And then the idea of like, okay, can I, can I design my business, my life, my, my week, month, year, whatever, around exposing happiness and limiting the downside? And can I just kind of keep working in that direction? So I've been trying to do that, but one of the other questions he asked was, well, what would it look like if it was easy? Hmm. And it gets to the idea of like, what would it look like if it's easy? If you're complaining about something, what would it look like if that was just easy? And I actually had a conversation with one of our, uh, our staff today. I brought her in. I was like, I've been thinking about this. Like, I know this is something that I hear a lot as a problem or confrontation or whatever. I said, instead of like us jamming a, a round peg in a, a, or a square peg in a round hole, why don't we just completely change our angle and just shift our approach to it where it was actually at the end of the day, stop that combative nature, give you and you more time back, have us deal with less problems, which is also another side effect of everything. And then I'm like, and all we really have to give up is this small thing, you know? And, mm -hmm. and in my head, I was like, it, what would it look like? It was easy. I'm like, if that's easy, it actually just took care of a couple other things and gave us back time. Yeah. So then it, but, it's a great question, but it was I just the it. idea of like, if I could think about put it in that context, like what would it be if it was easy? Yeah. You know? And that's, but it's just bigger and it makes you think a little bit more and go a little deeper than just like, okay, solve that problem. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's a great law of non-resistance question, by the way. So that's a, I love it. a law of non-resistance question that we ask our, our clients, the people we work with. It's exactly that question. How can you make it easy? Very cool. So Brian, for uh, sake of time here, cause I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to hold you too much. Um, if people, like I said, if they want to reach out, they want to find you, how do they do so? I'll put some of these in the show notes, some of your information, yep. but um, kind of what do you guys provide? What are those services? Um, you're fascinating. I mean, everything you just said was like, I think we just like peeled back a small layer of, <laughs> of the onion. I think, yeah. I think you have layers uh, 
beyond what we just went over today, but uh, what other stuff do you guys focus on? What do you deal with? Who can you help and how can they find you? Yeah, so great. So I can always be reached at newwayofhealth.com. So N-E-W-W-A-Y-O-F-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. Through New Way of Health, you can find all of our, um, all of our wings, our branches. You can find the Institute for Rehabilitative Qigong and Tai Chi, where we train rehab professionals, how to use those uh, holistic uh, methods in their practices. You can find Motivation Beyond Measure. So Motivation Beyond Measure is the, our division where we help organizations to really work better work easier like how can you make this easier mm -hmm. so reducing burnout um preventing presentism absenteeism you know all the things that happen when employees are burned out you know they're not healthy they're not able to provide the, they're not really able to be people of increase right i think that if you want to have a really amazing business a really amazing organization you want as many people of people of increase on your team, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're providing people of increase on your team, then all of your clients are feeling that increase. They're all feeling like their life is easier. They all feel like their life is better that they're a part of, that they are working with you. So essentially what we do is we help organizations help their people become people of increase by teaching them these somatic, emotional, mental skills and in teamwork and in communication and collaboration with one another. A lot of the work we do too, I just want to mention is trauma-informed. So we do a lot of trauma-informed trainings in organizations, helping organizations to feel safe so that employees can do their best work, so that managers can do their best work in supporting their employees, so that leaders feel like they have highly ethical organizations, that they know they're in the best service of not only their clients, but also their employees. Um, we help, it, that results in better employee retainment, better client retainment, everybody wins essentially when we, when we um, do that work in organization. So that happens through motivation beyond measure. And then the Somatic Coaching Academy for people who want to train with us, who professionals who want to train with us and learn somatic coaching skills, like some of the things that I've done with, here with you today with their clients. That all happens at the somaticcoachingacademy.com. All those things can be found through New Way of Health. Very cool. Yeah. And, um, and like I said, everybody, I've, I listened to Brian for a keynote and now yeah. for the podcast. And like I said, I, I think uh, there's a lot more to be uncovered with you guys. Yeah. And, I, and again, if people can reach out there, I think um, I think the way that the world's going, I think with the increase in uh, um, information and I think the increase in stress and the increase of just daily, like the speed of life, yeah. I, I kind of talked about my um, journey with that. But I think that... Um, I think this stuff's more important now than ever. And I think, you know, it, it's definitely, I say up and coming, but I think it's now becoming more mainstream. And I think people, you know, realizing that there's help in many different categories, things beyond what you ever thought were out there that like, even some of the stuff you mentioned today, I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that existed, but that, yeah, that's exactly the, that's like, that's actually like the focal point of an issue or something that um, is really cool that specialized in that. Um, so, but yeah, again, Brian, Traskos. Yeah, you got it. There we go. Yeah, Second time's perfect. a charm. So, um, <laughs> yeah, if you can find him, I'll put the notes in the uh, the show. His contact information in the show notes below. Um, but that is it. Episode 196 of the Galen Trombley Show. We're out. Galen, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley Show. If you want to reach me, you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. The spelling, G-A-E-L-A-N. T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.